Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's that time of the week again. The Rugby League rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard and get ready for an hour of nothing but NRL talk. And back for another week of the fifth and last NRL World podcast. And Brock, it's never ending. Plenty of drama, plenty of injuries, plenty of chaos, and some good football on the weekend, as well as, unfortunately, uh, a few unsavoury incidents. Yeah, a few unsavoury incidents, but overall, another good week. And what we spoke about towards the end of last week's podcast with um, the that gap between eighth and ninth forming with some results, those results happened, and now we've got a four point space between 8th and ninth, with only 12 competition points available so I find it unlikely that the top 8 is going to change in terms of who the 8 teams are we might see some changes positionally or we definitely will but it looks as though we've got our top 8 for 2020 so you know, I heard some people sort of saying that um, it would have been good if Manly won that game to make it a bit of a battle but looking at Manly and West Tigers form they don't deserve to play finals if they, they won six from six or five from six to finish off, they deserve to be in that in the show, but I can't see it happening based on what we've seen since, particularly the return from COVID. So uh, the the top eight sides are the top eight sides, and uh, for the next six weeks, I guess we can just prep <clears throat> for finals, and that battle for the all-important in to, all top four will, will now really heat up, especially with it looks like Melbourne and Penrith are definitely going to be top four, but uh, and probably Parramatta as well, but that... They that think they've spot, got enough of a buffer. They do, but that fourth spot is wide open, and realistically, any of those sides in the in the eight could land in that in that spot over the next six weeks. So again, that, those teams have to go on a run. But um, yeah, that, that's probably the one area of interest that that is left, along with the minor premiership as well. Well, kicking Prom- off premiership, premiership, kicking off as we always do. Set of six, six things, topics. Opinions, anything we want to talk about. I had that as tackle six, but I'll throw that in as number one, as you said. Uh, the top eight basically seems clear with that two-win gap. The only last bit of life left is the one you did mention in Manly, who have, I guess, had significant injuries as compared to the West Tigers, who I don't think have had as bad an injury run. and lost a couple of games they should have lost, but for Manly, they're now 100 behind in for and against of the couple of teams in front of them. Their last hope is basically this weekend because they play Souths, who are directly in front. So their only real chance is they need to claw that one back to be within one win. And then, like you said, they're going to have to go on a run regardless of that win because yes. for and against is not going to be good enough. It's going to come down to those kind of results. Uh, the other teams in there, I guess, Newcastle, they've got the draw, so that gives them that extra bit of buffer. The Sharks, they've got a few more difficult games coming up, but I still dare say, uh, given the results, that it's probably going to be too much against Manly. Well, they haven't beaten the top eight side. So they're in the eight. So yeah, but they've, but they've won all those every, games. everyone below them, yeah. so... 
They deserve to be where they are. And you've got uh, the situation where Turbo's probably not back for another week or two. Walker's missed a lot of time. Mainly gone. Adden, etc. I think as compared to the Tigers, again, they lost a few that we definitely didn't expect them to lose. And the injury toll for Manly's been horrendous. So... Um, so what are we saying if they win this week? They're if they beat up. South, they're one out. But again, I'm just more bringing up, I think, on four and against and what's needed. Well, are they one out or two out? Because South four and against would be much better, wouldn't it? Yeah, they if they beat smashed. South this weekend, they're still going to need to go on a run because four and against and results. Correct. So essentially they're three games out of the I eight based on four and against. They're realistically the Because even only, if you finish yeah. even, you're going to be gone. They're the only real hope, though. But I don't see it happening. Yeah. I really don't. Um, yeah, as far as the tussle for those other positions. Well, the Tigers, they're, they're playing... Atrocious footy at the moment, and they've like got a harder run coming home. Yeah, like got the hardest run if you want to. Honestly, really... they were so lucky to win that game on the weekend. Full credit to them for pulling it out of the fire, but it's concerning that they're struggling to beat some of these lower teams. Yeah, it's most certainly is. And you've got Manly people going, "Oh, they've got a decent run coming up." But I looked at a few of them and I thought they're not exactly chip-ins anyway. Like if they don't win on the weekend, then they play Melbourne. That's definitely not an easy game. The week after that, they've got the Tigers who are directly near them and on health if they don't get players back. That's difficult. The Bulldogs is a should win, but you know they're going to turn up. And then to finish off the Gold Coast again, certainly no pushover. Um, and then last round, the Warriors, who a lot of people are like, that's an easy win. That hasn't been an easy win for anyone if they keep playing the way they've been playing. Yeah. So basically, to your point, you're going to have to rely on five maybe wins. And South to go on a poor run who, mind you, they do have a difficult run. They've got to play the Roosters. I think the Storm, they've got the Bulldogs within their Tigers, but you'd expect them to at least win one or two games and hold that spot. So. Mm, the interesting thing about the Tigers is they've got the highest average or the second highest average win margin in the competition. So when it's all going good for them, they've teed they off can a rack, or, rack a score up. But you know when it's not, they don't like that tussle in that close game, which is what Madge is trying to sort of instill in them, I'd imagine. Mm. To the point that you made, I think Parramatta are still two wins clear of fourth and fifth in the Raiders and the Roosters on 18. I think they'll hold on. I think the top three is basically done. The top two... Yeah, well, there's a four-point gap from third to fourth, so it's the same. But, yeah, then you go down from Roosters to Rabbitohs, it's only two points between them. I think for me, and this is more from a Storm perspective, and I spoke to someone at work yesterday, they were talking about minor premierships or where you'd want to land. If, If I'm Melbourne... I just don't want to finish fourth because I think Penrith are going to win the minor premiership. I just don't want to play Penrith week one. Yeah, I'd be happy. Well, they're not going to. Happy to play Parramatta or the Roosters. The Roosters are going to get some trips back, but they're still not going to be full strength. And I think Parramatta, I'm confident Melbourne, close to full strength, will beat. The only team I don't really want to play week one is the Panthers. So yeah. uh, I think right now Panthers are waiting to see probably well, you'd which... Need, you'd need to slide to fourth or you need... Um... Yourself to go to first and Penrith to slide to yeah, fourth. Exactly, which but I don't Penrith think are at happen. the moment seven points clear of fourth. And I think the other thing is just denying Par- the big thing for Parramatta. You can, all, you can always rule that out now. Penrith, Penrith aren't going to play Melbourne round one. No, close to it. Impossible. The big thing, I guess, is denying Parramatta a home final. They'd be devastated if they missed out on a game at Bank West. For Melbourne, it means nothing. They're going to be on the Sunshine Coast or at Suncorp, I'd assume. Penrith this year, I'm assuming they'll let them maybe play. A home final at Penrith. If you can't have full crowds, why wouldn't you let them play at the yep. ground? Um, and the Roosters or the Raiders, I can't see pushing into that home final spot. But yeah, the only yeah. the only game that needs a big venue is a grand final. The big concern, and they can drag themselves back into the mix, is I guess Parramatta would love nothing more than to play at Bank West. So Parramatta the, beat Melbourne this week. Um, it's it's going to be tight. Yeah, on the run home, and they're a lot healthier than Melbourne are at the moment, but. It's a big game this weekend if they want to try and get a home final. That's yeah, for sure. Look at like from eighth, from fourth to eighth, there's two points. That's that's crazy. That's going to make for a really, really interesting battle. 
Newcastle got a win again. Second time close against Manly this year. Those two results. And they've got that odd point, which will either probably work for or against them, landing in that top four. Uh, but I think they've got a pretty good run home as well, Newcastle. But again, we talk about draws. Yeah, they have to wait and see what happens with bodies and all the rest of it. But uh, moving on, tackle two, I suppose, will address the monkey in the room that's been a continuous circus. Well, I'm, again, not the biggest fan of talking about it, but there was plenty of news out of there again this week, and that is the Broncos uh, last weekend. Obviously recorded early, so a fair bit happened after the fact. Seabold has now brought lawyers in for, as we said, all those presumed rumours and slurs, which everyone's calling out the media and calling out all these people to speak about with absolutely no basis on any of the statements. And Well, we said it last week. We're not going to comment yeah. on it because Half based on it's, nothing until it's fact. It's out of group messages that people have got fake names and scraps. Well, they're saying, yeah, it's like, even, yeah. Seriously. It's, yeah. Until, and that's the thing we said at the time, until there's some basis... People are going, why is the media not talking about it? Why is the paper... like They don't just act on random rumour. They need to have a decent source or basis or if it's going to be something they claim, as we've said, that may be a little bit inaccurate or missing some sort of information, it can't come in this sort of form because it's just defamation. You're opening yourself up to be absolutely torn apart. Um, but as the week's developed, it's really seemed to take a turn to a point now where his legal representatives are talking that they may be able to uncover the source of where it started from. And a lot of people... The question is to how that could happen or would police be able to do that? I think it was more brought back to a cybercrime company that if it's on social media or it's come from there, that that information is able to be traced. So mm. there's potential here that there's going to be some people that are exposed and some of the talk is that it may be people within clubs or within the game with some profile. So that would be quite a scary thought um, if it does end up turning out to be that way and they are exposed. But oh, We've seen this. It happened in the NBA. Kevin Durant had burner accounts and a few players have been found to have burner accounts that have made comments and done things online that are probably a little bit irresponsible. Uh, but this is next level. Like, this is rumour and innuendo and things that can impact career. So I, I applaud Seabold for enlisting these people. He's doing it out of his own pocket. So he's got every right to protect his integrity, to re- protect his uh, professional reputation. Because in the end, if, if these things are proven to be true, or even if they're not proven to be true but they stick... And to some extent, if it's not uh, investigated and proven untrue, it's always going to stick to some yeah. degree. It's going to impact his next job. And he's got every right to protect it's his professional him. integrity. Forget jobs, it's impacting him full stop. Like he's, he's I understand that, but you're talking issue. about... You can talk about... That, that's obvious, that stuff. But when you think about if you're a club and you're going to look at someone as a potential candidate for a head coaching role that's got that sort of rumour even mooted that's not proven correct but not proven incorrect either, it's a difficult sell when you're trying to sell it to the board and to a rugby league department and to um, higher-ups at a club that you want to throw someone like that on board and invite that attention. So at least now he's going to get some finality. There's going to be some accountability to those who have spread the rumours if they're incorrect, Um, and he can move on. Whether that's with the Broncos or not, I think he's irrelevant. I think it's more about his reputation and protecting his family. I dare say... Right now, there's talk that there'll be a decision this week whether he stays or not. Uh, I think that's convenient. That's a convenient... You could mean you could write that story. I'm not sure whether there's... We're never going to know whether that's true or not. I think that's convenient journalism because we all know that he's going to come back at the start of next week. We all know the results aren't great. Like, what what are you going to do for the next six weeks if if he's not the coach? I I just think it'd be stupid to make a decision on it now. You know, the dra- you could probably compare notes and look at the Dragons and look at the Bulldogs. Like, 
the Bulldogs told Pay and he decided to walk. The Dragons wanted to give Dean Young some time because they see him potentially as a future coach. So they both make sense. Um, I don't think it makes sense at all to move Seabold on. He's got a long-term deal. Get through to the end of the year, sit down and work out whether it, it can move forward and make a decision then. I don't think there's any rush. I think it more comes back to, say, what someone like Ben Eichen said the other week who put his resume in and they're all saying, would you make that hard decision? And he was still saying you'd want to look into how you've got to where you've got to at the moment and is it Who's just directly the coaches? Was yeah. it the board? Was it recruitment? So I think more of it... Well, I agree with board. what he said also in that the review should be happening now. Yeah. Not at the end of the but year. half the ha- problem... Have it, have it t- start now so by the end of the year you've got an idea on all that other stuff. I think you need somebody in place though. They're not going to have a CEO. They need a new CEO in place. Why, why wouldn't Ben Eichen be the CEO right now? Why wouldn't you just go and employ Ben Eichen right well, now? The, the talk Say is... to Paul White, here's your cabbage, on your bike, get someone in there who's not just sitting on the throne up until a certain date and nothing fucking proactive is going to happen. I think it's bad business to have someone there at the moment that is not proactive, that's not essentially trying to rock the boat too much. They, they need to start moving forward now. Well, the stakeholders and what was being spoke of this week and around the club, and again, they obviously leak like a sieve is that he's probably not going to end up getting the CEO role. So I, I, don't, I don't know who ends up getting the job. I don't know who they're looking at, but... That was what started to come out after I thought all that stuff and all the talk would be leading to probably getting someone like him in there. But, again, it's it's all gone quiet on the Western Front, which is unusual. But the initial talk... I'd be shocked if he didn't get the job. Yeah, if he gets the job, I think he'd do exactly what he said. Go through it, head to tail, top yeah. to tail first before... Uh, I agree decision. with what he said in that it should be happening now. But the other thing is the be. Broncos aren't a club that's going to struggle to get a head coach. No. So they, they're not rushed to move Seabold on. Like, if you're just going to move Seabold on to have Gentlers see the year out, just let Seabold coach the year out. I dare say if he becomes CEO, though, CEO though, I know who the two coaching candidates are going to be. It'd be Paul Green and Kevin Walters. I think if he's CEO, it's a fait accompli that one of those two ends up being the Broncos I think Anthony Seabold's a better coach than Kevin Walters. I'm not sure whether he's a better coach than Paul Green, but and again, this he's, goes, a better, he's a better coach than Kevin Walters. And this goes back to when people blow up before and go, oh, look at the results, rah, rah, rah. I don't care. Like if people don't, if people don't like what I'm saying, I don't care if you don't like what I'm no, saying because no. you're looking at the results, which is fine. You're entitled to do that. But, you know, I've, I've sat and listened to him and been in rooms where, you know, Seabolt's spoken footy, spoken philosophy. The guy knows what he's, he knows what he's doing. Simple as that. Has he walked into a complete clusterfuck? Or has he potentially contributed to what is now a clusterfuck? Maybe. No one knows. We don't know the exact details and ins and outs of of certain elements, but he's one million percent going to take some accountability for, or the majority of the accountability for where they are at the moment. And I'm sure he'd acknowledge that. That doesn't mean he can't coach. That means he's made some bad decisions that have they've led to bad results. Well, he's definitely gone in, and what most people don't know before you get to somewhere is a place with a whole lot of instability as compared to where he was at South with a when few veterans, yeah. a solid board. He probably didn't think he was going into such a bad situation, but once he actually arrived yeah. and the split in the group between the senior guys, the younger guys, the direction that he wanted to go, moving a few of those older guys on, and then the knock-on mm. effect with the senior group and that young group, and then hearing, as you've spoken about, some of the bits we've had from the uh, younger players and some split there and some guys with a pretty high opinion of himself. Again, you, he didn't know yeah, all, look, I've didn't heard, know all the facts until he actually got within the four walls. But. I've had conversations with people around different different parts of my own coaching and different jobs that I've had and why I've left certain jobs and clubs at times. And they go, you were mad to do that. 
And then you sort of have the conversation with them and tell them some of the details and they go, okay, that makes sense. So just beware, you know, understand that your opinion is an external opinion. You don't know all the information. As much as you think that the papers and what's on social media is the be-all and end-all in terms of accurate information, it's not. And there's a lot of ins and outs that contribute to the situation that Brisbane are in. Uh, Who is going to be ultimately accountable? Seabold will be. Because it's a lot easier to move coaches on. They can't move all all the players on and you, you, the board certainly aren't going to come out and sack themselves but you know you could there's a few in the within higher ups and within key leadership positions at the Broncos that haven't done a great job either that have contributed to this situation so I think again once they all get aligned and work out a plan work out where it went wrong and if it is Seabold's responsibility and it has been the majority of his doing he'd happily I'd say accept that he's going to get the sack but does that mean he's a bad coach? No I don't think it does. I think there's some there's some bad coaches going around that have had jobs and lost jobs, etc. That for for whatever reason keep getting head coaching roles. So I'll I'll leave I'll leave my personal opinion on coaches out because I don't think that this is a format for it. But all I'm saying is is that there's a lot more to this that we don't know um, that's contributed to it, and a lot of people have contributed to where they are. So. Look, I really hope whoever, who, if they can prove whoever's sort of thrown him under the bus here, I'd out him. Whoever it is, personally, I'd out him and make sure that they're accountable. I think he's got a, Seabold's got a wider responsibility here as well for the game. You know, you only heard Pappenhausen talk, it must have been a fortnight ago, about some death threats that players had received. That was sparked off an AFL player mentioning again that we don't give a fuck basically about random punters sending yeah. death threats and abuse or I hope you do your ACL over your $5 multi. They're professional sportsmen yeah. playing a game, doing their part for the team and they're not worried about but some dickhead sending an issue... Instagram message. And yeah, Seabold, to your point, sparked up and basically said, given what was going on, he was disappointed that no one in the NRL had gotten in touch or at least made a phone call in regards to the situation, what had been happening and then brought back to you know the Pappenhausen thing and just all things around that, in particular social media and what he's doing right now, and that if they could, they need to make people more accountable. Mm. So, I mean, look, my opinion changes on based on information. I don't get, um, I guess, my wagon hitched to an opinion because I, I just think you, your opinion, and you should be always trying to learn, and your opinions change based on the information you get. And I, I still look at the Brisbane situation and think, just to, to think that that's all the coach. Which is no, what the media agenda is. It's just crazy. Well, that goes back to last year when I was defending Ivan Cleary. And a lot of people go, look how they're going. He's going terrible. Yeah, look how they're going now. Things are going fine. And then this year, again, attributed the gender from a lot of people in the media is it's Seraldo and it's Barrett and it's this and it's that. It's like, let's forget the moves that Ivan had made yeah. and the plays he'd moved. Like, just to give no credit, uh, you know. And I'm not saying it's all Ivan. It's obviously the club and there's a lot of things being fixed. But again... One minute you're kicking well, him and it's all his that, fault and the next minute he's Whose decision it. was it to bring Barrett back? Ivan's. I'm just saying in general though. No, but what, what, you, can give the credit, you can give the credit to Barrett but understand that it was Cleary's decision to bring him back. So it's a head coaching and decision. Same, Cleary he, deserves, he deserves the credit for having the balls to bring him back. And again, yeah, I, I agree with you. Deserves, I'm not disagreeing. But you know, and he's done some stupid things and there's some things that we've definitely, definitely disagreed with. But like you're saying, forget results compared to... Uh, you know, looking at results and going, oh, he's a bad coach because of that. Plain and simple, if you, like you said, you've been in a room or you've seen things previously on knowledge. Yeah, skill, but not just one time, like over no. multiple different yes. periods. And, and people that we, we know do keep in contact with. a little bit professionally. Like if I wanted to ask a question, mm. 
I'd fire him an email and he'd, he'd fire me an email back. Mm. Um, so okay, again, we don't have a, we don't have a personal relationship. I don't have a personal relationship with the with the guy. No. But I have a, a, a professional relationship with him um, in that there's a mutual respect there, and you know we can exchange ideas or more so me asking him questions because he's the one that's there doing it on the front line. And for me, as an aspiring coach, you sort of any any coach whose brain you can pick is positive for me. It's a learning opportunity for me. So I'm trying to do as much of that as possible. Well, they've got other issues going on at the moment. The Pangai Junior situation, again, was sort of unfolding uh, after last week. That's escalated further. He's obviously been talked about being sacked. That hasn't been completely clarified, but he's had a meeting with the Integrity Unit. <laughs> He has a meeting and then says, oh, I can't, I can't guarantee that I yeah. would be able to stay in the bubble. Like, well, well fucking... First he admitted contract to more should breaches. Be gone. More breaches and then said if he went back in, he couldn't guarantee it, which is why they stood him down. And now he's getting lawyers in against that side and the comments that apparently that he was talking to Nick Politis and bagging out the club and there's, there's been plenty of stuff swelling around. But if you're Brisbane right now, despite just the multiple breaches, the suspensions that was brought up that he's been suspended for 14 games since he signed the contract... He's just bad news. Toodaloo. And we said at the time, which I blew up again last week, when they were talking about that contract and him being the next time alive, like it was just fucking ridiculous. You watch someone make a play in one game and then all the hot air that gets around him and they get this reputation that's just undeserved. He's done nothing consistently for the four or five years he's been playing first grade. Nothing. And a couple of weeks ago, again, everyone jumped on. He had a really good game against the Bulldogs. It was against the fucking Bulldogs. Mm. Like. Seriously, if you're Brisbane, this is a get-out-of-jail-free card, in my opinion, whether you like that term or not. The behaviour justifies it and potentially talking to other clubs and uh, you know riffs in the group or being someone who's not really a team player. But for someone who literally go to the integrity unit and be like, oh, that's not the only breach and I probably can't guarantee I wouldn't do it again. If I'm Brisbane, if I've got grounds to get rid of him, this is a free out right now. Well, you've got grounds to get rid of him. Gone. Not even an argument, so. I agree. Uh, yeah. Plenty of stuff been happening there. Another poor result on the weekend, unfortunately for them, and the injury bug bit again as well. Just as they got a few guys back, and that's probably and they still more to my out. point. Like if okay, you're going to look at the results. Look at the team that they're able to pick. Well, Huss, tell me, tell me that the team that they're going to run out this weekend can win. Can't. So it doesn't matter who the coach is. They can't. Haas got himself pinned, and he's going to be suspended for two weeks. Turpin's only been back for a few weeks. Made a difference. He's now busted his hand. And now Flegler, the information's come out that he needs a shoulder reconstruction. Well, they're saying that he might have to play this week. Because they don't have enough troops. So, yeah, things aren't exactly going too great. And there was talk that Milford will be brought back early. His hamstrings are all good and Croft's going to be dropped. So, mm. not great news uh, for Brody Croft. Again, today, recording early, we don't have the lineup, So, it'll be interesting to see if that is the case. But um, they can't take a trick. But more interestingly, for the back end of this season, said it last week, Fingers crossed nothing else leaks out the next few weeks. But uh, as has been seen, it just seems to be the gift that keeps on giving as far as the media circus, and they're absolutely loving it. But a decision on Seabold and that future to me when it was brought up this week, I don't think any decision should be made until you have a new CEO in. And if that CEO is someone like Ben Eichen, I think his first week will be the big week because I'm sure within a short space of time, it'll be a top-to-toe review within a week or two to decide... On all levels, is it the football department? Is it just the coach? Was he supported here? Does he have the right assistance? Is the board right? You can't just go, yep, all right, you're out. Especially not now, to me, with the board that is leaving, with a CO that's leaving, with a GM in Carl Morris who's basically proven so far that he's probably not right up to the job, and then board members in Darren Lockyer and these sorts of blokes who don't have a great track record at the moment either. None of these people, to me, are fit to decide whether the football department, the coach, is the right person. Whoever the new CEO is, and if it is a Ben Eichen, that's their job in my opinion. 
wait until the season's over. I don't think Paul Green or Kevin Wilders or a few of the guys that are out there will go anywhere. I think a few of them are waiting for that job. Yeah. And I'm sure, like you said, if they had a target on somebody else, that they wouldn't struggle to pry them and get them back there if they need to. But I don't think there's a rush. There should be more of urgency, as you said, to appoint the GM or the CEO, sorry, if they already know Paul White's going. Yeah. So they can get this review underway. But, yeah. Tackle three, the Kevin Proctor situation that unfolded on the weekend. Um, I've only saw the evidence after the fact. I was working, so I didn't see the full game, but I've seen all the bits and pieces after. You were watching the game. I want your opinion on what you think. Was it a bite? Was it more I don't, I don't to know. the fact that he jammed his arm in his mouth? There's only two, play, two people that know that whether it was a bite or not, and that's Proctor and Johnson. Well, obviously in the so moment. So I, I sort of believe that we should almost take Proctor's word. Like if Johnson isn't going to come forward and make a formal complaint, which he didn't, he wouldn't allow the ground manager to take photos of his arm. Well, he's made a comment today, not long ago. What did he say? He released an actual statement because he's been hounded and this, that, and the other in the media. Basically saying that at the time, in the heat of the moment, did he feel like he maybe, you know, had a little bit of a bite or was it the situation? Yeah, he maybe did well, feel like that. he fucking either does or he doesn't. He's basically said after that that, again, if he thinks that if Kevin said he doesn't do it, he believes Kevin and he's backing Kevin that he didn't bite him. So oh, look, it's all yeah, confusing. Yeah, there's a whole, whole heap of different things here to, to sway through. Firstly... Do I think it was a bite? I, I honestly don't know. I think there's 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 uh, stills there that stills I think, Jesus, that look like that, that looks like a bite. There's stills there where I go, no, nah, it's not a bite. There's angles there where you replay the same action, and to me it looks like a bite. There's others where it doesn't. I don't know. The, the, and anyone that really out there is saying, yes, I believe definitely it was a bite, or no, it wasn't, the answer's a pineapple, as Hoops would I, say. I, real- I, I, don't, I don't know, but... I, I don't see how you can charge Proctor if they've got no evidence to charge him. What are you charging him based on? The the, the stills? Because uh, the stills don't prove that he The he only bit thing, him. and Ben Eichen again made a smart point last night, was probably the only point that anyone's made to any sign of guilt or an admission of any sort of guilt yeah. is when they had the audio from on field when they're blowing up at each other and he's going, you're a fucking sook in this, that and the other. You bit me and he's like going on like, yeah, you, you choked me. And he made it out almost like I've maybe... Not defended okay. the fact that he said you've bit me, but he's saying you were choking me. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I think it, the wider, the wider issue here is around the wrestle and around the grapple around his face. And of course, it's only Melbourne that does it, yet this is a Sharks player that's trying to tear Kevin Proctor's head off. <laughs> that, that's the wider issue here. You shouldn't have your hand anywhere near anyone's mouth or your arm wrapped around anyone's mouth. In, you can't tell me that Johnson wasn't applying pressure. In that comment, Everyone in that grip. He's applying pressure. I don't think he's working the neck, though, like Gordon Tallis carried on. I didn't say he was working his neck. I said he was in a hold and his arm shouldn't have been across his mouth. I don't care what Gordon Tallis said. We're talking about what we think. So we're moving on to that because we we, thought we were going over the issue of whether it was a bite or not. Yeah, I'm with you. So do you think it was a bite? Well, from the stills, I thought he might have had a little nibble. I don't think it's James Graham level or Brad Moran in the past. Yeah, it's not. So, but like the this is this is very similar to one, and I brought it up on our discussion group page, the William Zillman case. It was almost the same hold, it was almost the same position, um, and William Zillman wasn't sent off. Neither neither were Moran or Graham. Uh, like it's astonishing that James Graham stayed on the field when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, a hell of a body. Like it was it was easy to prove. And we saw it replayed, but um, I I don't know. But I, I just don't see how they charge Proctor with a lack of evidence. There's no evidence. The player hasn't come forward and made a complaint. They don't have photos of any damage caused to his arm. 
They've sent him off, I think, too quickly. It seemed very, very fast. The ref to look me. at his arm on field? No. Because, like I said, I didn't see the game. I'm just going. No, off. I was watching it live. They, they, he didn't say, show me your arm. The only thing that looks bad. I think one of the Sharks players asked, I saw Johnson show his arm to maybe Wade Graham. Mm. But he certainly didn't go over to Henry Perinara and say, look at my arm. And I think because that, at that point in time, that's when the ground manager is supposed to come on the field and take a photo. If, I, if my understanding of what the protocols are, are that if there's a complaint made on field, that the game is stopped, the referee then calls for the ground manager, the ground manager comes out and takes photos of the, of the marks on his arm. That's my understanding of what the protocol is. So the protocol wasn't followed. Post-game, they've asked for... Uh, a photo of Johnson's arm. He's then declined. Proctor is adamant he didn't bite him. So I really don't know. I, and I'm sorry if people listen and go, well, fuck me, like he's sitting on the fence. But I, I, don't, I don't know. All I can say is what basically what you said. You can make stills look bad. So it's easy from the stills and a little bit of video. I don't see, see any clamp. Any, I don't see any clamping uh, action. Not a drastic one. That's why when they're going, oh, look, maybe a little nibble. Like you move your mouth naturally if you're trying to breathe or yeah. you're doing whatever you're doing. But I think with stills... The side of the NRL, or when Johnson didn't want to go on with it, as soon as the bunker and Paranara that got a hold of it, it was always heading a bad direction in the heat of the moment. And I think Johnson, again, in the heat of the moment, when he realised who it was, they both had their spack at each other. Then things have calmed down, and he's realised, oh shit, it's one of my mates, it's someone I played in New Zealand for, and I, the incident probably wasn't as bad. And I think he now is obviously kind of on the back foot. And Kevin Proctor, who's played 250 first grade games, and I think he's only been to the judiciary or been charged once prior has pretty much a clean record. So I think this whole situation is very awkward. But as the days have gone on and everything's been talked about and everything's been reviewed, it seems more and more that everyone's of the opinion that it wasn't a bite or it was more the circumstances around the arm being in the mouth. So I don't know. But Sean Johnson, I've got it here. It's time to clear the air. Um, you know where I stand with this happened during last week's game. This is not an apology. After this post, I won't be talking about it again. So what you want from it, get take what you want from it and jog on. To the media outlets that are likely grab and twist this, please don't. I do, but do I believe that Kevin Proctor had a nibble on my arm at the time? Yes, I did. Otherwise, I wouldn't have reacted the way I did. Since then, I've spoken to Kevin. He's told me he didn't, and I believe him. I've also had time to watch the footage, the same footage you've all seen, and can see that maybe the force I had against his open mouth with my arm could have been the reason I felt what I did. In the heat of the moment, I reacted the way I did, and I can't change that. No way did I think he would get sent from the field, but did I think we'd get something for it? Uh, I hate that this has taken attention away from Kev's 250th first grade game and what an unreal player he's been for so long for both club and country. He'll be supporting Kev at the judiciary tonight where he can. Uh, I, As I believe him being sent off and ultimately costing his team the game is a big enough punishment. That's where I stand. Take what you want from it. I'm not here to please everyone, and I know... The did he bite debate has divided the rugby league community, which is fine, but I remain honest and transparent to myself and those who follow me. Those who have sent messages of support through, uh, I really appreciate it. And those calling me a snitch or a rat, well, hey, maybe I am. But all uh, but all I'm thinking about is my team and winning a game of footy. And he's got the bloke with his hands up, a laughing emoji and upper. So, again, I, as the days have gone on, I feel... That basically tells me that... I think was more what I thought in the heat he of the moment. He doesn't think he bit him. In the heat of the moment, he's spacked up and then realised when they've kind of realised I'm fucking choking him across his face. And it's one of my mates, and I think he's tried to 
Yeah, there's a lot of different avenues we could go down there. But I'd say one thing, though, if it wasn't Kevin Proctor and one of his New Zealand teammates, I think he would have. Well, we don't know that. We're going to need to deal with what the facts that we know. So, all I can we say is, and again, I don't know whether it was a bite or not, but more to the point of the stills and the video and the fact that they've reacted the way they have, even with Johnson saying, "I don't want the penalty, I don't want this, I don't want to go any further." If they've sent him off and they're going to go all, all the way to judiciary and refer it straight away, I'd find it highly unlikely he's going to get off. I don't think he deserves. I think he should get off. I don't think he deserves twelve or fourteen weeks or whatever it is that James Graham got. But, but how are you going to? What are you going to suspend him based on what? I think the lawyer for the NRL is just going to use those stills, and they're pretty. I don't know. I does, or do I know if he bit him or not? I don't know. But from the initial reaction, I think they're going to use that. To, and they're the, going to use still the stills. Isn't enough to, a still isn't enough to. Definitely, you can't definitely say that he bit him. Well, the fact he's trying to back out of it, hopefully it does help Kevin Proctor. But I don't know. I really don't know what the result's going to be. I really don't. But it's a very awkward one. It was funny at the time. Like I said, that the reaction was the way it was. And then suddenly, he didn't want to go on with it. But by then, Paranara, and that was like, well, it's out of your hands, basically. And it went up to the bunker. It backed him up, and he's gone straight in the bin. And it probably ruined the game. It was a close game up to that point. But once he got sent off, uh, that was it. So... Yeah, everyone's opinion out there seems like I said. I think I saw a poll last night. It was almost like uh, Fox had the one with uh, I think fifteen thousand people, and it was almost seventy percent plus that said they didn't think it was. And then I seen another one today, similar deal again, and it was almost up to eighty percent now. I don't think anyone that's acting like they know they don't know. You've got an opinion, and my opinion is he didn't. But oh, I'm with you. But I'm just saying off the NRL side, if they're it's got to this point. I'm sure they'll use but the I stills, the initial reaction. I understand reaction. if Johnson's got his hand or armour in his face pushing on his teeth, I understand why Johnson sort of felt as though he did as well. Yeah. There's a lot of different circumstances that have contributed to this. So I will say, though, the comment from Mal Meninga was the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. Yeah, but his the comment, the comment, the comment comments because when it first happened, like a lot of people in the heat of the moment, they've said, yeah, he bit him and he'll get a suspension. And then by the end of the night, he's saying... Because obviously he's spoken to Proctor or he's spoken to the coach or he's spoken to someone at the Titans. They're then saying, well, he felt like his life was in danger. Like, that's going too far down the other side. Proctor probably felt pissed. He probably couldn't breathe. And you know yourself what it's like when you're busted. And, you you know, if you have someone cover your mouth for, you know, five to ten seconds, it, it does become difficult to breathe. But to feel like his life was in danger, that that's an exaggeration. It's the stupidest comment I've ever heard. But it's it's not the stupidest comment I've ever heard. No, but it was it looked it looked silly just because of the difference in the comment at the start of the show, or straight after the Titans game, based on what they were saying at the end of the night. And it, it just spoke directly to the bias and the job that he's got at the Titans. So, you know, I'm a Titans fan. I, no, no, I'll, you I'll, give I'll cop it. I, opinion. Yeah, I, my point at the time when I heard that afterwards, I'm like, I was more honestly, pissed that they sent him off. Let's use video. and how quickly they sent him off, and that the protocol wasn't followed because it was 18 all with Titans with a set restart going in. I thought we were a chance of winning the game. Well, my point more so, to his comments and then Gordon Taylor saying I would have bit harder if it was the case, right, is if you want to get real nitty-gritty and go through video of games every single week, you'll find chokeholds or arms around the neck or arms on the face or in places where they shouldn't be plenty of times. Mm. One what I'm saying is if he did bite, I'm not saying he did, but there's no excuse to bite someone regardless. But if you want to go look and I find more tackles, you could find plenty more tackles around the neck or around the face or hands where they shouldn't be in plenty of games. But to make the comment his life was in danger is just fucking ridiculous. Mm. But, I, again, given he's 250 and I think he's only had one other charge, we could say this is not in the nature of Kevin Proctor. But I really don't know what's going to happen. It was just the fact that it escalated the way it did. He was sent off. 
the NRL side of it, I don't think they're going to want to be able... I don't see how they're going to walk into this and suddenly he's off. I think he's going to get something. But we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, tackle four. Uh, another thing from the weekend, which is very unfortunate and disgusting, was the racial slur that occurred towards Brent Naden at the Central Coast Stadium. And I must say, good on him for speaking out straight away. Good on the ground, the NRL, and everybody for the way that they've handled it and the response. Uh, I think they were taken to the police station, but they were released afterwards because I think it comes back to Brent Naden whether he wants to go on with this formally. I would. But I hope he does. Again, similar to Seabold, you need to start making some of these clowns accountable. Mm, 100%. You right. can't just sit on a sideline and make racial comments. And the first thing that came out again is, yeah, but educate them up. Just Fuck up, the education. They get enough education. After what's happened the last few months in the media. Christ. And what we all know and what's been going on with Black Lives Matter and all these situations and protests, surely we're not just going to, you know. It's got to be stop this soft approach. Exactly. There needs to be accountability. You can't go they to should the be banned for life, and they should be. They should face some consequences, yeah. face some punishments. You can't go to the footy, sit behind the fence, and then that whole argument about, oh, you know, I, I paid me ticket, I can say and do no, what I want. No, no you, can't. you can't. Not to that extent. No. You can yell and cheer and boo and do things within a decent manner, but you cannot make comments that are racially vilifying, and of all times to do it as well. Like in a crowd of. 20,000 in normal times, some dickhead might yell something out and you may not be able to pinpoint it. But in COVID times, with 10% of a crowd there where everything can be seen or heard by anyone at a game, how fucking stupid could you be? Yeah. Honestly. Out of that group. And again, was it all of them? Was it none of them? They said, I think there were six or seven they kicked out maybe, but then someone's come out with a Snapchat video or something pre-game where they're mocking... Uh, you know, indigenous dancing. Yeah, I heard. Like, I heard some of the the some of the guys yeah. at school were talking about that today. All I can say is, I don't know. They deserve to be banned, and I hope he does go on with it. And again, go the, on with it. The talk again, like you're saying about education and this, and maybe oh, with their yeah. parents and that. Nah, bullshit. And you know what that well, is? They know. You know, I'll, I'll give you a little school. bit of truth here, right? You know what that is? You know what education is? And it's for the minority of the morons that act like dickheads at the football because we've been going to the football for 20 years, 25 years, never never carried on like a fucking tool and never said something racial. So when you're talking about education, you're trying to... You, you're, what you're then doing is educating the majority of people who already know the right way to behave. So instead of rolling out this softly, softly, oh, well, we need to be educated to make an excuse for the behaviour... Come down hard on the behaviour and let those of us who know how to behave correctly get on with our lives. Not have to sit through half an hour and an hour and an hour and a half long lectures on racial abuse and cultural sensitivity because I think we all do a pretty good bloody job of that in Australia. Let's be honest. It's those dickheads and morons that are always going to be dickheads and morons that are going to behave like clowns, that are going to act like clowns that ruin it for everyone. Black, white, blue, or brown. It doesn't worry me. Yeah, don't make excuses for their age. If you're old enough to drink, Christ. you're old enough to make decisions. And whether you're on the yeah, piss or not, if you can't behave not, on the piss, don't, don't drink. drink either. So that's not an excuse either. There's no excuse for what's happened at the football. Plain and simple. Good God, on like Brent, a, yeah, like and good on everyone involved. Western Sydney, Western Sydney, where we live, is a cultural. Oh, mate. Smorgasbord. We have plenty. We, I went to school with Polynesians, <laughs> Indians, like, you know, you've got oh God. Italians, Lebanese, and all we sorts all get of cultures. And we we're all respectful. Sudanese and all that as well. Like, we're just... The we 99% all, yeah. of us. So let's not make out that we're racist and we don't behave the right way. It's the minority that do. Yeah. And the minority that cause these issues. So let's fucking make them accountable. Yeah. I don't think we're sick of trying to... Yeah, sick but... of just having the, the majority thrown in with this, this minority. Yeah, no. 
I'm with you. Uh, again, Hammer. There's no excuse for it. I hope he does go on with it. And even if he doesn't go on with it, from the NRL point of view, if it's not a lifetime ban, it should be a pretty. Should fun, be a life ban. Should be a pretty should, not a, lengthy ban if it's not. No, nah, I, I disagree. Ban. It should oh, be a life ban. But it, I hope if it's not Punner. that much, it better be a decent, a decent ban. Let's put it that way. There's no excuse for it. All right, tackle five. Mary McGregor, the Dragons fans, there'll be plenty out there that are happy. They finally got what they wanted. They've been calling for his blood for years and the club and the board. Um, basically come down to two situations. He's admitted that I've been banging on for a long time right now. One wasn't the coaching selection board, but we obviously know that that was taken out of his hands and been able to pick his own team. But the second part was more the last couple of years, recruitment, retention, and decisions around the squad were taken out of his hands. So realistically, you're taking all the blame and responsibility, again, that we talk about with somebody like Seabold, but you don't have really full capability or control to be able to put your hands up and say, well, I'm going down with the ship. If you're not picking the side, if you're not having a same recruitment, retention and the players you want, well, why fucking coach? Mm. So he's made the decision. I'm sure it was mutual and they were going to move on anyway. I know that was brought up in the media. I think it was well handled from both sides. I'm more than certain they are probably going to move on from him at the end of the year anyway, given the results, and that he will get that clause, that sort of the Barrett thing where he gets half a year or a year or whatever it was. But uh, in that situation, I don't blame him. And I don't think he could have handled it any better. He was all class. He spoke very highly of the club. Um, again, 25-plus-year association that it's been a privilege, not an honour and not a right to be there. Spoke highly of his playing group, and I think they delivered and broke that kind of rumour and cycle that we all spoke about, or everyone was in the media beating on about that they're against him or they're split and they don't like him. That was all bullshit as well. Um, and I think, you know, just even his words about his father now and being out of the bubble and the fact that he can go visit him and he's a bit crook... Uh, yeah, I, I don't think he could have handled any better. And the whole presentation afterwards from someone like Cam McInnes, who's obviously got a very, very close affiliation. You know yourself when you're a coach, you have a few people uh, that you've coached more particularly than others, not less, but just a stronger bond with some players. So I'm assuming for him, mm. he was this junior rep gun at South Sydney. He was not really given the opportunity. He was bought there. He's now the club captain under Mary. He's really developed and played his football under him. Um, yeah, I thought that was a pretty touching moment, to be honest, from a coaching perspective but all class the comments around Dean Young it's his job to lose I don't believe that I don't think they've just you know got him in the driver's seat from all reports and everybody already knows this Shane Flanagan's got his hands all over everything before this situation was done I still don't think his band's going to be overturned so their decision it's needs to be, be nor should it be is he going to get 12 months here as an interim or something or does he get a short-term deal if that was the case well then I'm basically taking it that if Flanagan stays around and Dean Young gets a short-term deal, that they're still looking at Flanagan? Or do they give the job to somebody like Young and give him a decent amount of time, which in that case, I think if they do, I don't think Flanagan will be there next Flanagan year. Flanagan will be gone. And That's the other one to bring up was Fitzgibbon and Rolls, and those that are linked to the job. Rolls has basically wiped himself of any job. He's still going over to England. But the word was that from Fitzgibbon's side, it was basically if he's going there, there would be none of this selection panel or recruitment or all this kind of meddling, and then if he was going to get the job, it's not going to be you interview, do this, that, and the other. He's either the right person for the job or he's not. And I couldn't blame that whether that's true or not either because the situation he's in right now, but even that's he doesn't need to leave. The Dragons need to complete a process. I, I find it really, really hard. Well, sorry, I'll go back one step. Either they think Dean Young's the right man for the job or not. If Dean Young's the right man for the job, give him the job now. He needs strong Tell him assistance. he's got the job. Tell him he's got the job now. Because they should, like... Really, you can't just throw him in and go, well, well prove yourself. The they, they, that's right. They you either know, know he can don't. or he can't. Yeah. Correct. If they think that he's potentially not, go through a process. 
and open look it up at for applications. Your and your Griffins and whoever else is going to throw you, that in there. Todd yeah. Payton, if he doesn't get the Cowboys job, there's a couple of guys out there. Because you you look at this Mary situation, it's gone. You know, he coached there for seven years. You owe it to yourself over the next six weeks, or ten weeks, or however long it takes, to go through the process and find the right person for your organisation. Look at the Titans, for example. Look at the Garth Brennan appointment and what that did to the club. Look at the decision to sack Neil Henry. Look at that did to the club, and look at where the club is now under a good coach with Justin Holbrook. Your head coach, whether you like it or not, sometimes you know can can be the make or break of your your club. I think St George are in a very very weird predicament at the moment. It seems like Mary was had a strong connection with the players, but maybe wasn't getting the best in terms of performances out of them. Maybe that's because he just he's limited and he, he couldn't extend them to the point where they he could get that from that playing group or whether it was just they needed a change in voice. Um, but, but they're in a position now where if they make the right appointment, they could shoot right back up the ladder. But if they make the wrong appointment, they could really hitch, hitch themselves to the bottom of the table for a period of time. So this is a really key appointment. I think they need to take their time, make sure the decision... You know, you never you never know when you make a decision whether it's going to be the right decision, but you can at least do everything in your power to ensure that you have all the information and you do everything you possibly can to make sure that you give yourself the best chance for that decision to be the right one. Mm. And I think that's what the Dragons need to do. Well, so think- if, it, if it is Dean Young, great. Give it to Dean Young. It's been spoken of But before. if it's not... Go through your process. Also, though, they've got this track record recently of going straight to a rookie internal coach and just going, you're in charge. Maybe I, I love their internal philosophy. I, I do think it's too, fantastic. But you still because need... We, we, I've been preached at two clubs now and an internal promotion policy. And yeah, when push happened. comes to shove, it doesn't, it doesn't always happen. Um, but at the same time, you need to also see that they're the right person for the job because at times I think maybe Mary may not have been ready with his background or Dean Young... May have been a 20s coach and an assistant now, but if you've had Flanagan there this year, again, that I'm hearing still had majority of the control, had his hands all over everything. If he's the dominant coach at this point in time and has been, and it hasn't been no, someone like Dean Young, well, mm, is he ready to take over? This is where I would say... assistance, is Flanagan the right one, or is he going to try and knife him? I, I, don't, I don't think Flanagan's the right assistant for Dean Young. Not at this point, I don't think. Whether he's a good if, coach if, or not. If Dean Young is appointed as the head coach. The intentions are what worry me. But if he is appointed, he needs strong assistance regardless. Unless Flanagan says, I'll be here for a year. Mm. I'll help you for a year. And then after that, I understand you're the head coach. I'm going to go and find an opportunity elsewhere. That's a workable relationship. Yep. Or they go to... What I would say is then, if if I'm Dean Young, I wouldn't want a third assistant coach. No. I would say to Flanagan, we're going to be almost joint head coaches. Yep. You go and run the O, I'll run the D. Our responsibility. Our responsibility from a team perspective, I get the final say in terms of selections. But we I will. get the final say in terms of what we're doing if if we do happen to... It's a good springboard to have that, if the intentions are good. I've got a premiership, yeah, it, it, but you've got to make sure that that's the right thing. I think three becomes a crowd in that situation. Well, again, Because you've year, then got someone, if I'm doing O and you're doing D and then you've just got someone on the side, if someone's stepping out of, of that role, it needs to be the head coach, in my opinion, to oversee those two coaches running offense and defense or you need to have like we did this year you need to have two on the one and the the, the head coach on the other I think 
Yeah, but even then, it, find, it, it becomes hard when you're coaching O and D at the same time. The head coach can't see what's going on in O. Yeah, but if they're still adamant that they want Flanagan or internally, again, same deal. They need to have that conversation with Young if he gets 12 months or an interim or they're going to do that. Whatever they're doing, like you said, I'm sure they already have an idea. If yeah, they want year, Flanagan... changes. You know yourself, like over the last three years as a head coach, first year um, I didn't have West Tigers sort of influence how I ran the program at all. So I ran the program my way. And 90% of the coaching I did because I wanted to set the standard. I wanted to make sure that things were done my way. Second year, West Tigers came in and said, well, you did too much coaching last year. So what we're going to do now is your two assistants are going to do all the coaching. At the end of that year, the feedback was, well, you didn't do enough coaching. So you told me not to coach. So this year, we went to, well, you're going to run offense or defense and your assistants are going to run the other, which was probably a happy medium. The only... The only Issue there is, as I said, if we're coaching at the same time, I don't really see what's going on with the O, and then you become accountable to something that you're not controlling. So that's sort of where, you know, the only issue within that model. If you're running, I'm running the defence, and your two assistants are there helping, and then you you guys are running the O, but I'm there able to oversee. You sort of you're all having input and, and control over the whole program. Mm. So that's where I think that model is most effective. But that then revolves around field time and things like that, things that the first-grade team won't run into. I'd I'd just be super keen to have both coaches. I'm the head of this. You're the head of that. We're going to bounce. We're going to to work together on both. And let's just make sure we're really tight, we're really aligned, less messages. Well, I guess for them, though. Two head coaches, like a premiership winning coach. What what would you see being the outcome here? Do you think they would be that keen on Flanagan? They would do an interim thing for 12 months? No, and And if I'm Dean Young, I don't want that job. No, and that's my point to you. If they came to you as Dean Young and said Unless they've sold that to Dean Young and Dean Young said perfect, yeah. If they said in 12 months' time, he's going to be the head coach. But for now, basically, you've got the title. Especially with him as assistant, because I'm not coaching the team. Yeah, and that's where I'm at. But if he thinks he's more of an assistant than a club coach, they're going to give him the year or so with that title, maybe a bit of a bump. And then too. straight away, if I don't, and it's if I'm the head coach and he's telling me what to do and I go, well, no, I'm the head coach, I'm doing it my way, come time that he then takes over, I'm gone. Yeah. Well, at that club, I don't know if that's the case. They're pretty solid internally, but I think... Yeah, but if he's the head coach and he's going, well, I don't want him here, that that's... Yeah, I still don't think they'd get rid of him. His, his father's on the board for Christ. I think that's another reason maybe... On appearances on the surface, I don't. Well, think it they... shouldn't be. It shouldn't. If he's the best man for the job, give and him I a fucking job. Back I him. think on the surface, that's another reason they haven't done it straight away. Because apparently, well, his father bullshit. has that's... taken himself out of it on the board as part of that decision. So they shouldn't. There's a lot of surface stuff here. But if it's not one of those two, and Flanagan's gone, and it's not Young of the candidates out there, who do you think would you go hard at Fitzgibbon? Would You're you not going to get Fitzgibbon. Would you look at Green? You're not going to get Fitzgibbon. Firstly, what Paint I would do, no, what I would do is open it up for applications because straight away. Whoever sends in an application wants, wants the, the job. job, okay? I want someone who wants the job. I don't think a professional organisation, a strong club like the Dragon, should be going and trying to find a coach. A coach, I want a coach who's going to come and knock on my door, put their application in and say, oh, I want that job. And I'll rat out one other thing straight away, which was brought up again, which is Bennett for 12 months. Again, uh, you do that, that's a disaster. Flanagan's definitely not going to be there. I know he's endorsed Young, and Young might hold with him for 12 months, but I just don't think Bennett is a good idea for anyone at this point in time. I really don't. And I said it last week, and I'm happy to say it. He's doing fuck all coaching at South right now. It's basically Demetrio's team. Him not being in the bubble right now makes no difference to how South Sydney's going. Mm. Is he good with the group? Is he a good man manager? Yes. But actual coaching, actual video, actual hands-on rugby league this day and age right now, 
plain and simple, whether you agree or not or whether you don't like it, and knowing people that have played under him in the last couple of years or been in these systems or anyone can tell you mostly around the game, like you said, he's not doing a lot of coaching. But for, for the Dragons, right, on the next know. 12 months, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't know. That's not I don't, a good I don't idea. know anyone within clubs that he's been at. I just don't think it's a good idea. I, it was brought up and I'm like, no, nah, not for 12 months. I would months. say that nah. the last two clubs he hasn't left in great condition. But even for a 12-month stint, again, but why? That's, and that's also not his job. No. Like, his, his job... But, for, first and foremost, he's to win games and win premierships, and he's not. If he's not doing that, then at this point in time, though, he's, he's not, not going to have he's a job. Not the sort so. of person you want for twelve months, I don't think. I don't think it's I think any ludicrous. It's ludicrous. Decide like you're saying: is Young the right person? Are we working towards Flanagan in twelve months, or are we going elsewhere? What are we doing? Let's make a decision. Yeah. So, tackle six, and the final one we've got here was brought up by Robinson and Bellamy to some extent, and it's been shown in the numbers the last few weeks. A lot of people are asking. Uh, is the new rule changes in the game and the lack of breaks and the origin thing contributing to more injuries happening this year. Again, with mm. breaks and rolls and all sorts of things, now they're contributing to a well under fatigue. You have poor tackle technique or other things that may lead to injuries. I think we're almost 20 to 25 injuries up on last season at this point. And obviously the bigger one is the breakdown of major injuries. I saw NRL Physio and a few other people on Twitter and writing in the media that there's been more long-term injuries and people like the Broncos have had nine that are five weeks plus. Newcastle have had the most with 10 plus. Roosters, Warriors, Cowboys have all had seven, Raiders six, etc. So there's been a lot more long-term injuries. I kind of look at it when people go, well, there's no origin break this year. It's like, well, what about the guys in origin? Like, You usually play more football, four more games, plus an origin period, plus some internationals. Maybe it's more spread out. And there's less travel, and the bubble maybe. I said this back at the time prior to when I when I was arguing with you and all in sundry about that we'd get back and that we should get back ASAP, that we should have split rounds, just four weeks of two rounds, to give them that buy. That's the only way that you're going to fix it. Otherwise, you just play it play it through. And that's, they've decided, obviously, to play it through, which is fine. I think the initial reaction... But I would have tried to get back a little bit earlier and just split a couple of the rounds up. Mm. Well, I think and to your four, point... Four and then four, um, four games per week for four straight weeks. Mm. I think to your point, initially, though, it was more probably the scare factor that if they don't condense it and get it done, what if COVID hits again? And I, I don't know. I think they were just trying to get it all in. Be like the AFL did, but they do that 20 days straight. I don't... I've got to be honest. I think we're in a worse predicament now in terms of the game potentially stopping with all the shit that's going on in the last two weeks and what we were back then when I was saying those things. Mm. Because the player behaviour then was they're all indoors. They all want their money. They're all panicking. Now that they've got their money and things are starting to relax a little bit, we start to see the behaviour slide. And the thing they're not thinking about, which And is no the... one's saying that. I've just said it. Mm. But no one's saying that. No, everyone's like, ah, oh, the game's back. Don't worry about it. Yeah. No, well, don't, don't not worry about it. The boneheaded part is for this year, they've already got the bulk of their money and they're already on their reduced amount now. Yes, but if they fuck this up moving forward, it's less money year <laughs> on year if they hurt the TV deal. So all they're doing right now is threatening the game themselves. Dumb. They're really threatening the game themselves. I, part was brought up that maybe within their bubbles and some of the facilities that they've got, because some of them aren't at home, Maybe rehab and recovery and those bits and pieces. Yeah, but also you could go back here not, because uh, how how long did they have off? How, how what was the gap, gap? Eight weeks? I think it was ten weeks, something like and that. They went into like a they four went, week. They had a four week preseason. The, the fact of the matter is, is that you've essentially trained. You've done two preseasons. Um, you're playing over yeah long long periods of time. The intensity of the game. I think the the intensity. The ball has been in play more. longer, which means there's more fatigue, which means there's less. Intensity, I would think. 
but you're opening up to more probably soft tissue. I get the, the I don't talk understand. about. I like I'm not an expert on it, but I, I I think the longer the ball's in play, the more fatigue. The more fatigue, the less intense the game is. That. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That was Vlandy's whole argument, was it, well, it's going to reduce the impact and etc. 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 when you're under fatigue. I think that's what I was saying the other night, like poor tackle technique or a decision more opposed to soft tissue stuff occurs under fatigue where you get yourself in a bad spot and maybe... It's not necessarily just a muscle tear or a strain or something like that. So, I don't know. But there's been plenty the of... The thing is, you can take data for this year, but you see certain clubs go through injury crosses over yeah. well, next one year's season. Be once, once it goes, yeah. You need to get to some long-term data around it. Well, all I can go back to is the point I made at the start of this is that we definitely don't need to go to six interchanges. And again, that was being called away straight for the, away after a few rounds of this with the six again call. Yeah, not now. No way. Not no really. way. But again, if we're because back we've to changed a, the game. Yes. And if we're back to a more normalized season next year, to your point, I think we'll get a better idea. Was it because of the second preseason and all these little bits and the extra travel and the bubbles and less rehab and all these other things and just how we've kicked off again? Or in a normal season, if we are back to normal, fingers crossed, where everyone's back at home in their own bubbles, things spread out, the origin period, the rounds, are the numbers as bad? Mm. But right now, yes, it has been quite chaotic. Plenty of teams have beaten up. Um, and, and, and hurting at this time of the year. And hopefully a few of them get healthy before the finals because we don't want to see a couple of contenders limping in with big injuries and just being fodder, basically. We want the final series to be as strong as possible. Mm. So there you go. That's a set of six for this week. Jumping into our power rankings brought to you by the Penrith Solar Centre. Again, summer's right around the corner. If you're in Western Sydney like we are, springtime for Christ's sake, you get enough sun. And as soon as daylight savings kicks back in, huge savings to be had. So get on board. With Penrith Solar Centre, if you're going to get a system and tackle your rising power bills head-on this season with the help of solar energy, the team at Penrith Solar Centre are passionate about helping Western Sydney sin bin rising electricity bills for good. Find out how they can make you, your family, the big winners this season with quality solar solutions for your home. Visit www.penrithsolar.com.au or give them a call on 1800 20 29 30. Number one box head, the Penny Panthers. Yep. No argument as to why. And the scarier part is they're getting some troops back the next few weeks. I think Staines will be in contention the next two to three weeks. Catewell is potentially a week or two away. And Brian Toto may be back already this weekend. So mm. despite those few and some minor injuries during the year, nothing major, but kick out, miss a week here. Uh, you know, Coruscant or guys rolling in and out. People have come in and done their job, yep. got some football, and they've been able to move their roster around. I only wonder if they'll consider playing Burton or a couple of these guys on the running to get them some football, give them the good position they're in just to make sure that everyone's ready to rock and roll come finals time for any situation that's going to face the Penrith Panthers. Yeah, I would. Uh, Number two, Melbourne Storm. Storm. A similar deal again. They've got plenty of injuries, so guys are getting football now, like Yannicko Hines' and the like. Shandor Earl might get a game this weekend. Cooper Johns potentially gets his debut, but probably more so forced with injuries that some guys are getting a lot more game time than they were at the start of the year. 
Um, but if they get Munster, Smith back in a couple of weeks healthy, Dale Finucane, six weeks now, the calf injury, surely four to six weeks with his face, Momorovsky, et cetera. If those guys are all healthy around finals time, well, that's a good thing for the Storm that everyone's healthy on board and played some football. Mm-hmm. Number three. I got the Eels. Still got the Eels as well. Um, I think they've got no injuries, basically, besides Penny Terrapo. They've definitely hit a bit of a flat spot and probably a loss they needed to have on the weekend for a bit of a wake-up call and a big game this weekend against the Storm if they want to get themselves a home final potential. Well, I've swapped. I'll put the Eels above the Roosters. Yeah, I left the Roosters at four. They haven't changed for me. A bigger toll again the other night. Lamb, Kiri, potentially minimum three weeks now, still missing a bulk of players, Uri Hargraves, Morris, Tupac, etc. But a lot of those guys are due back in the next week or two. For the Roosters, I don't think it matters where they land. I think if they get majority of these guys back, they could be one of the only teams to threaten from the bottom half of the eight. I'm sure they'd rather finish in the top four. But at the same time, I think the biggest thing right now with those guys close to being back is no more injuries on top, which they just got on the weekend with Orbis and Kiri Lamb. That's their biggest concern right now. Agree. Number five. Raiders. Yeah, I've swapped the Raiders to five over Newcastle. Bit flat in the first half on the weekend, but then we saw some spark in the second half. Starling's growing into that nine job uh, since him and Harvilly sort of shared it. He's getting majority time. Bateman, a couple of weeks back, played some of his better football, starting to look good. Harrower and Ira again, a couple of weeks under his belt now, made a good impact off the bench. Yeah. Six, Newcastle. Yeah, Knights. Yep, no disagreements there. A bit scrappy on the weekend, but again, a game they probably lose in the last year or two, but they find a way to get the job done. Yep. So, uh, seven, seven South. and eight. Yeah, got South. Just and I've got the Sharks. Sharks. Yeah, yeah, and on the fringe again. Uh, those teams are basically out of touch now. So, guess the power rankings probably don't change a whole lot the next few weeks unless we see. I feel some. like we've got four real tiers. You've got Penrith and Melbourne. Yeah. Who are streaks ahead for me at the moment? Eels and Roosters, who are. You know, thereabouts look like top four teams, but have slumped Roosters more because of injuries. If Roosters are healthy, you probably think they are. Power of top group. Yeah, but they're not at the moment. Uh, And then you've got Raiders and Knights who have had significant injuries, but potentially look like they might be a top four side. And then Mm -hmm. you've got Sharks and Rabbitohs who have been off a little bit slightly. And yeah, like the Cronulla, I guess the criticism is they haven't beaten a top eight side. The Rabbitohs? Have they really beaten Have anyone? they beaten a top eight side? You'd have to scroll through, but I can't think of a big result. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think. Unless they beat Cronulla. Because they didn't beat. Yeah, I'll They didn't beat Penrith. They didn't beat Melbourne. They didn't beat Para. They didn't beat the Roosters. Did they beat the Roosters? The easiest one here is if I click on. I think they did. They beat the Roosters. When? Start of the year, didn't they? No. They, the... they, they beat Sharks. There you go. Round yeah. one. Yeah. Roosters they lost to. Storm they lost to. They lost to the Panthers. Lost to the Knights. Lost to the Raiders. Yeah. So they've beaten one top eight side, which is Cronulla. Mm. So there you go. That's why I've so got a similar situation. South just ahead of Cronulla, but and definitely not firing one. on all cylinders. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, Whereas yeah. you know your, your Knights, your Raiders, Roosters, Eels, Storm, Panthers have all sort of beaten each other. More, yep. Some more than others, but yeah. That's why they're they're in that top tier for me. No doubt. There you go. There's the power ranks this week. Again, Penrith Solar Centre, you're number one in solar solutions. Get on board. And again, if you're not in Western Sydney or not in the Sydney area, they've given suggestions for other listeners on the Sunshine Coast, Brisbane, Melbourne. They've got people that they've met at conferences and just for communicating and working through all these things. So even if you're uh, not looking for solar in Western Sydney or looking elsewhere, more than happy, send us an inbox. They'll put you on the right path for somebody who is reliable. 
But if you're in Sydney, www.penrasola.com.au or 1800 20 29 Speak to Jake and the crew there today. Reviews of the games for the weekend. Boxhead, Storm, Roosters, 24-6. Both injury hit the Roosters more so than Melbourne, and then Melbourne inflicted even more punishment on them on the weekend. Keary, obviously getting that injury. Lamb, the ankle, Orbison, uh, the injury there. And then Melbourne missing both the Camerons and multiple other players. Quite impressive just to see the way that spine played on short notice. Yeah, I'll turn it off with 20 to go. The, The Storm were too good, far too good. And... The Roosters are just a shell of themselves. They don't have the players there. They're, they're stricken with injuries, but so are Melbourne, and I think Melbourne are handling it far better. I think probably you see more again here, one of those arguments again where everyone's like, Robinson's the best coach of this area, this, that, and the other, and I've said it before, probably more so from the man management, keeping them up and all that. I dare say they've got better players all around and available to them than Melbourne Storm, but it's more on him to keep the group hungry and maintain the egos and keep them humble and hold them together. But for the Craig Bellamy side of things, you can't deny that there's some guys there you've never heard of or have been at other clubs or would not play that way if they didn't wear a purple jersey. Mm. He does an outstanding job. And Jerome Hughes, I copped a little bit last year from people, especially Melbourne people, about why don't you like Croft and you're still on about Croft, this, that and the other. I don't care if he's not a genuine number seven. I think he's a better player than Brody Croft. I think he's developing nicely. They do a great job manufacturing people or developing people into these sort of players. I'm not saying he's ever going to be anything close to a Cooper Cronk or anyone like that, but... He's more than doing his job right now, and I think he's developed quite nicely this year. And the number one thing I like about Hughes, and I said this before, number one, defensively, he's a lot more sound than Croft was, and he's not going to be a, an issue for tri-causes on his edge. Number two, he plays direct. He's not afraid to run the football, which is your first job as a half, and nine times out of ten, otherwise, you play short. He does the simple parts of a halves game that you'd like to see well. And then you've seen a development in his combination with Pappenhausen. You've seen development in his kicking game, which didn't exist. I think he's doing a really, really good job. Um, he was outstanding the other night. Yeah, absolutely. Pappenhausen good. Brandon doing his job again. Fox had one of his better games. Welch uh, back healthy again. There's talk now that he's looking to stay after last year, having that bad injury. He was about to go to Parramatta, but took an option up with the Storm. Um, yeah, all, all good signs there. But, yeah, I guess the big thing, bodies down. Vunny getting injured. Uh, Hughes potentially missing a week or two. If I'm Melbourne this week, in all honesty... Anyone that's injured 50-50, I'm just pulling everyone. Because, mm. like I said, what are we playing for now? We're not getting a home final. I don't think we're going to fall to fourth. Smith, Munster, Finucane's now confirmed as out. Hughes, Bromwich may get suspended. Worst case, rest him again because he's just back from an injury. Anyone who's busted right now for Melbourne this week, even Pappenhausen or Cheese, Brendan Smith, I don't care if they put out a random 7-8. Well, they've the right to do If I'm Melbourne, all I care about right have now your boy. is have our buy, mm. rest the group, get everyone healthy and back on board rather than going to war with the team that's really trying to fight for probably second this week. Mm-hmm. As long as we think we're not going to finish fourth and have to play Penrith, if I'm Melbourne, I'm not fussed. I'm really not. They're in a great position. Uh, a little bit of controversy thrown around about a 14th man or Vunny leaving the field again. I was at work. I didn't see it. I don't know if you saw that while you were still watching. People were saying, I think he got a head knock because of the face injury, potentially come off with the head knock and someone was running down his side of the oh, field yeah, but he's yeah. run back on to make a tackle while they were putting Hines on. A lot of people, again, beat the storm drum and say, Doc, I'm the two points. They're cheats. Rah, rah, rah. He knew about it. Like, again, I haven't seen the incident. I can't comment on the incident but like, if a bloke's smashed his face and he's in a HIA state and he's on the other side of the field and he's ducked back on, like, do what you will. If, if you feel that strongly about it and the NRL feel that strongly, take the two points if you want to. Yeah. Um, but I think that 
realistically, if you looked at the scoreboard and what people have spoken about afterwards and you saw the game yourself, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have had as big a effect on the result as the way Melbourne Storm played. If not, whack them with a fine. But if they go as far as the points and that's the, the track record, I'm not sure. I don't know what the precinct is. I can't remember many of those incidents happening, to be honest. You can think of anything no. before, don't you? I don't know. But again, a lot of people jumped on that bandwagon. It, did, it so. didn't uh, affect the result. For the Roosters, probably the only thing I'll say. The other thing, I've heard a lot of comments like Tedesco's playing poorly and this. Like, I think you're blind if you think he's playing poorly. Like, don't have guys on the field, missing a lot of troops. He's not not trying. He's still racking up 200 plus, 25 touches, busting tackles, busting his ass. But if you don't have all your men around you on the field, yeah. you're going to look less involved or less impactful in a game of football. That's why it's a team sport. Yes, he's a great individual, but you still need other people around to have a, you know, more of an impact on the game. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty straightforward. Panthers Warriors, 18-12. I'll tell you what, if we thought they played a good first half of football the week before against Canberra, I don't think they could have been much better in the first half against the Warriors. And the Warriors were outstanding to hold on the way they did. But it took a brilliant pass from Nathan Cleary to Naden. It took repeat sets, pressure and patience not to be frustrated with the fact that the Warriors were defending so well. And they found their points as the half went on. And then up he Coruscant's ruck play and just jumping up through the middle there when they were split and scoring. 16-zip, perfect completion rate, excellent kicking game, excellent pressure, you think. And this is the, one of the best halves you're going to see by a team, and in wet weather. But right on the half, error and try, you felt, if I'm the Warriors, that's a win. Because if you're looking at possession, the dropouts, the pressure, everything like that, like 16-6, huge result. Yeah. And then in the second half, they scored nicely off that scrum play where they just dragged the numbers in and got into the corner, and you thought, mate, again, they're not going away here. And they didn't go away. They did not go away. The difference was Penrith's defence. They didn't score a point second half, but they held on. Mm. And they got that penalty goal. The Warriors were outstanding. The the Warriors are playing at the moment. Their last month has been top eight football. Mm. 11 dropouts for Penrith, though. Nathan Cleary, six. The kicking game was absolutely exceptional. Luai chipped in with one. I think Mansour, May, a couple of guys. I even think that move I've enjoyed, actually, watching May play in that centre role. Again, a guy who can play in multiple positions, but his yeah, skill set... So I, I don't think he's a centre. No, I don't think he's a centre, but I think the skill set for now, compared to Afari or someone, helps out in multiple ways. He's good enough to defend there. He's good enough with the ball-playing ability. We saw that kick come in, the catch pass if he needed to, but they also used him in the attacking third instead of Edwards on some of those sweet plays to get a ball player there, so I didn't actually mind what they were doing. Mm. The only frustrating thing, I think, for them in the second half, because they felt the Warriors may be coming, is just closing out. And I said the same thing about the Canberra game. They got ahead and they had a good lead and they didn't really close out a little bit. So they're starting outstandingly. They're getting far enough out in front, but I still don't think we've seen a real 80-minute performance from the Panthers. But that's great. There's still room for improvement. Yeah, There is room there, 100%. So uh, Cleary's kicking game, though. Absolutely outstanding. Arpi Coruscant, there's no argument. He's been the buy of the year. Fish, Edwards' return's been pretty good. There's a lot of guys that were good for Penrith. And on the other side, just effort across the park. Tohu again. Why healthy in Jazz Tavunga the last few weeks while he's been back. They've both been outstanding for that forward pack and leading the way. And Peyton's still got them fighting. And for anyone out there, like I said, we everyone had the same opinion that they were going to be the easy beats. They've gone the complete opposite way. Yeah. They're making the most of the situation. You've got to wonder, not just the coach, and change and you know him saying like you know for all the suffering and not being with your families and being over here like we why don't we make this something make it worth our while being here i really wonder if the bubble situation is good for some teams and bad for others they've been forced for the first time to focus on football and football alone and the criticism a lot of the time in the past is that when they're home some of them are bad with their diet or maybe don't care enough about football and training and spend time together but they're living in each other's back pocket they're living football 
they're training together, they're in the gym together, they're spending all their downtime together. Like they're really, really united under a cause, and it makes you think that maybe some of the better Warriors teams under more circumstance like this, where they're forced to embrace their football and each other as a group, could have been even more successful. Mm. So I think if there's one team that's benefited from the bubble situation or one club that's really benefited from, from this environment, it is the Warriors. Totally agree. Um, they unfortunately had the little blip on the radar where they've brought Finch into the bubble or Todd Payton for a bit of, uh, you know, just, I guess... A bit of fun. His life experience and he, him as a person and just bring a bit of fun for the group. And within a week, he's gone on the YKTR podcast with Isaac John and got on the beers and taken some photos and put himself in breach straight away. So... <laughs> I think uh, he's not employed by the NRL or not employed by the uh, the, the Warriors, etc. So I think they may cop the fine for what he's done. But poor old Finchie. They reckon he was good fun or good for the group the last week or so, and he's already found himself in trouble. I so. heard someone say, someone said to me during the week, he could fuck up boiling water. Look, you got to love him. I love him. I love him. I do yeah, love him. But it's not the smartest. God, thing. he's just—he's so. got a habit of just getting himself into Barney Rubble. You know the he? crazy part though. Only that week there was that many articles written about how well they've handled it, and the Australian clubs and players like your pan guys and that should handle it like the Warriors have because the players have done the right thing. And then Finchie's come in and made a fluff up a couple of days later and put the spotlight straight back on the club. So yeah, good on um, him. Full credit to the Warriors though, because that's really no fault of theirs. But old Finchie, he couldn't help but go. Outside the bubble when he just got inside it, so yeah, I don't know what's going to happen there. Nothing's been said since, but I assume if they're going to pin anyone, the Warriors will be fine because they introduced him. Um, and if he has to be out for two weeks, given that he's gone uh, elsewhere, I, I don't know. Maybe they don't bring him back this season. But the word was that he was brought in, like you said, for a bit of a laugh, lighten up the group. And obviously, he's had a hell of a life and some experiences in the game, and he was a hard worker, and he'd be good for the group. And Toddy Payton said as much. So yeah, that's the only downside for the Warriors from the weekend, but. Dragons Eels, this one for me. It's a good game. It was a good game, but I've got to say, Parramatta, like, honestly, do you want to be any more disrespectful in wet weather football? Like, they refused to play wet weather ball. Every time there was an opportunity to roll or just change directions or turn back in the middle, they persisted with shift plays, long passes off rucks where they didn't establish any momentum, constantly throwing it to the sideline. Places where you can't quick transfer the ball or can't get the catch pass you'd like in that sort of weather and playing to the edges when it just... The conditions weren't made for it. Yeah. And they proved it to themselves twice, and in particular the first try, how you're playing wet with the football. If you're going to play out, drop back under and pull them apart in the wet. And Wonga Blake went straight through the hole where they simply went two, three wide, turn a bloke under, play back to the middle. Kane Evans was a straight up and out, up and out, wet weather, crash over, bang try. But they just did not want to get involved with that for 80 minutes. The week before, against Sharks in much worse weather, but again, wet weather football. They played that middle game. They kicked well. They ran strongly. They did the better job pushing themselves upfield and finishing their sets off with a kicking game. But I was just dumbfounded the amount of times the other night they just refused to buy into the wet weather game and thought they could play sideways. Mm. And there was a shitload of errors and poor results with the ball as a, as a case of the way they wanted to play. Hard to argue. A lot of people blow up about the Reed Marnie try. Like it got sent up a try. Yeah, I don't look, think, I thought it was a shit call. I don't think it was definite, though, and I don't think that cost them the game. I think they were poor pretty mm. much in general, I thought. Yeah, oh, look, I thought it was a dodgy one. I don't think it was enough to overturn it if you sent it up a try, but that if, was if you watch the actually 80, I'm just saying that they, they... I'm not saying they deserve to no. win. Or no, that would I have think won or lost in the side. game, but I thought it was a poor decision. Yeah. No um, Vaughan, no Sims, Ford, a couple of guys that would have played for him. If you're looking at the, the wants, the, the Dragons wanted it way more. Yeah, and they played that middle game. They were willing to roll their sleeves up and get dirty. Lomax, again, uh, despite the injury, a couple of quality moments. Sevo had an absolute Barry Crocker. 
mm. that's now popped up on a lot of teams' radars that he's the one you want to target defensively. Yeah. The try for Arvalar. I'm not sure one, why it's taking this so. I don't so know well. why either. And even contesting the ball, I've said it before as well. For all the raps that are on him, he doesn't work hard enough in yardage, and at times I'm not sure he likes contact. No, neither do I. He likes scoring tries, but mm. for the size of him, he needs to be more physical. He should dominate those aerial contests. And Blake Ferguson, for anyone bagging for errors and all that, you can't question his intent when he carries out a yardage. Mm. But I don't see Sebo rolling his sleeves up anywhere near as much as Blake Ferguson does. And that should be the best part of his game, considering they reckon they have to restrict how much weight he lifts because he's too big, as he is right now. Mm. That man should be dominating teams in yardage. That should be his number one job for Parramatta, not scoring from 5-10 out. But first try, he didn't come up with man or ball. No. They weren't done or they weren't cooked numbers-wise. He just picked space. Didn't come up with footy or men. Uh, and then aerial contests, losing those as well. You should never lose those when you're that big. So uh, I dare say Parramatta's right edge. We, you already brought up before that Jennings, Brown are disconnected at times, but I think now people have also figured out that Sevo aerially and, and just in those areas, if you play out there, numbers or no numbers, that he can come up with a poor decision. So um, I don't think it's a bad thing for Parramatta. They've been flat for a bit of about a month now. They got a bit of a wake-up call against Manly, but I think this weekend, whether Melbourne's healthy or downtrodden or what, I reckon that's a must-win for Parra, in my opinion. From a confidence perspective and for people to not start heaping on or trying to bury him or say that they are going to choke or not get the job done this year, I think Melbourne this week is a big game for Parramatta to yep. prove it to themselves. And a lot of people, they're going to come after him with the knives if they don't get the victory, regardless of who Melbourne picks. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Dragons, good way to send out their coach. Um... But yeah, I guess some people say, why now when he's leaving? Why not before? Well, that's, yeah. But you must say, there's been some close games. You know, they blew a couple of leads. They're in some games. It's disappointing. It's been a disappointing year, but I think the writing was on the wall. Like we said at the start of the year, they're probably going to move on. The question now is more what we talked about before the coaching situation. Sort that out. Yeah. Sort out where you're heading. And I still bring up, if anyone needs to be accountable, just as much as, uh, you know, Mary for me, it's Ian Millwood. Because prior to speaking a lot about it on here, and I've seen a lot of people starting to get on board with it, I think he's been behind the scenes doing a fair bit um, that's contributed to, again, blame that's gone solely to Mary. But I think he needs to be accountable for some of the decisions he's made with salary cap and roster. Yeah, I agree. So they got Brisbane this weekend. Probably a good time to be getting Brisbane if you're the Dragons. That's for sure. Massively. McInnes uh, and multiple others outstanding in this game. Gutherson, I think, set a record for most metres in a game. Can't question his effort and his energy. Marnie, um, but yeah, Parramatta need to wake up. Kim Guffo. Sharks, Titans, Boxhead. I did not see this game because I was at work and I don't know where Laurie came from. It may have been that this morning in my car I heard the big sports breakfast with Laurie Daly. And Clarky. You talked me through this one because I have not seen it, but apparently it was. It was even messy. Before it this was messy. It was. Um... Both sides sort of had a, a bit of a run during the first half. Um, both teams made a lot of errors. It was scrappy. Uh, but, look, it was an even game. Until the Proctor incident happened, it was an even game. The Titans had lost Arrow, so that was that was obviously going to hurt. But it just Copley looked like... got injured as well, I read. Yeah, it sort of looked like at different stages both teams could have ran away with it or could have got a couple of um, try leads and gone on with it. But neither side was good enough to really close it out and... The Proctor incident just shocked the Titans. and You go down to 12 with 20 to go, you're in big trouble. 22 to go, yeah, and that was... That was the end. The Sharks went bang, 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 and that was it. Mm-hmm. It ruined the game. Yeah, that incident ruined the game. So up and up until then, up until that, what, 55th minute or 60th minute when all that happened and 
the dust settled. Cronulla were always going to be too strong once it went down to 13 v 12. But up until then, it was a really entertaining game. I was enjoying it. I thought the Titans played well. They they did not look uh, out of place against Cronulla. They looked actually like they could beat Cronulla. So, again, I think Titans are very similar to the Warriors in that they're playing yeah. good competitive top eight footy. They're you not top to eight up. teams, but they for this last month, they've essentially played like a top eight team. Mm. Competed with Roosters, competed with Penrith, uh, put the cleaners through the Cowboys, and they're now... You know, up until someone was sent off, could have easily beaten the Sharks. So. And again, guys are staking a claim because they know what's coming. Fafita's yeah, coming, Tino's coming, SES so is again, coming. So they need to be. You can say what you want about the salaries on. It's it's not so much the salaries on. It's the impact he's going to have at the club, and we're already seeing that now. The only thing I know about this game is I had a bet beforehand and I got a win, but I didn't see the game. No, I, I had Talakai and Sharks one to twelve. Right, but I will well. say for him, he's doing an outstanding job at the Sharks. Britain Nakora, we haven't seen many second-year slumps, but he played for New Zealand. Yeah. And this year he was pretty quiet and he's been dropped. And John Morris, again, full credit to him, he's picked up Talakai, who had huge junior reps, debuted at Souths as a gun junior centre, played all the reps coming through, fell out for a little bit, spent a year at Penrith playing front row, back row and cup, year at Newtown there last year where they won, and then he's worked his ass off and now he's starting back row for the Sharks playing some excellent football, so... Some guys do get all those raps and the pedigrees, but they get there and they don't really have the tools because they're so physically gifted. Mm-hmm. Some just fall away and don't want to work, and some guys persist for a couple of years like he has, and now he's starting back around first grade. So good turnaround, and he's playing some really good footy. Yeah. But, yeah, we'll see what happens. I guess tonight will be judiciary. Tonight, yeah. For uh, Proctor and this whole situation and that statement we read out before, but um, a lot of people were bringing up, does he stay at the Titans? Do they consider him? I think he would for the right price. But he's definitely not getting what he got when he came from Melbourne. No. And he's been linked, apparently, to the Tigers. So there's another Melbourne link with Maguire. Hoop said that last night on yeah. 360. Big about it. Vaughn, the answer's a pineapple. A pineapple. What's that supposed to be? He mean? kept saying it on... Uh, he says it at least once a week on um, the big league. league rap. The only one I heard Vaughn was when he goes, on there. do you think he had a little nibble? Yeah, I think he might have had a little a nibble. A grade two nibble. A nibble. <laughs> <laughs> a nibble. He had a grey two nibble, Vaughn. Just, just, just a little bit. I'd have thought of Doctor Evil when I heard nibble. He's a biter with Mini Me. <laughs> yeah. what, what, what do you mean? Is he not fitting in? Is he giving off a weird vibe? He's a biter. He's a biter. What's wrong? You uncomfortable? You hungry? You want a hot pocket? Maybe an ego? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Uh, uh, South Cowboys thirty-one thirty. This dead set took me back to under twenty. It was a great game. This was loose as there was some shit defense, but there was some great tries. Yeah. Uh, you know, the little short side sweep there where it was almost an obstruction and Morgan scored and there was enough bodies there. I was like, how do you score there? Mm. That's some poor day. But then on the flip side of that, like kicking across field for Hermiso and that try was just, like, I don't know how they got caught so far in field for him to get that space. There, there was some Barry Crockers, but there was some good stuff. It was fun to watch. The South spine, it's just not clicking. I thought when, when Cody Walker came back, he did make a big difference, but I still thought compared to, say, Reynolds, Luttrell, Cook, a lot of guys are off. I still think Luttrell, unless they're flat-track bullying someone or playing a lesser side, has been poor. I thought he was very poor again on the weekend. But on top of that, I think Cook, again, still really, really struggling this year. Mm. Not playing anywhere near the level he has. And again, maybe the, the noise... Comes back to the middles. The noises, yeah, again. But I think the noise is getting louder around Coruscant and maybe he's starting to buy into it a little bit. But, um, you know, Cook... Oh, sorry, Cody didn't have his best night either. He, he contributed a couple of errors. And Reynolds, who I thought had been... Average, to be honest, had one of his best nights. He dished up a real good game. And that boot, the sharpshooter, he missed the one from the sideline. But then Kyle Felt just 
had an absolute brain fade. Gave away the penalty, gives him a second crack at the goal, and then they go downfield. And if you're going to back anyone to kick a field goal, it's Reynolds. Yeah. Especially after a game the other year where we watched him kick the three against the Dragons. Dragons if, if there's a bloke you don't want kicking a field goal, 30-30, and he's probably not going to miss, it's going to be Adam Reynolds. So. It's Adam Reynolds. He is clutch. Sharpshooter. Golden boot. Bloke you want kicking for your life, Brock. Yeah, that's right. But this was very up and down. I love Hanno. Hanno's comments were spot on afterward. Basically, not defending it, saying that a few guys did play better, but basically it's just their boneheaded errors and stupidity that's keeps getting them in these situations. They've had games that they could have won this year. They've had some games where they've just been piss poor, to be frank, but he made no bones about it, that it's their own fault that they lost that game of football. Mm-hmm. So, same old, same old. Maguire, Tom Ilo worked their asses off. Morgan, big reprieve compared to the week before where he had an absolute shocker against your mob. Scored a couple of tries. I think Drinkwater coming back at the back. Hamiso's been good there, but as far as ball playing, probably took a little bit of pressure having him at the back off Morgan just to be able to play a bit more direct and run the football. Um, Hampton in the halves, I don't know. I'd probably be more tempted to get him, Drinkwater or Clifford and get Hamiso back to the back than have Hampton there, in all honesty. yeah, uh, I know they've got Granville sort of back in the mix now. I was liking what Robson was doing. My main question is, are you keeping Granville or are you not? Mm. If you're not keeping Granville... I'm playing Robson, and I'd probably, if you want to back up, I'd pick Cotter. I don't understand why you're persisting with Granville, whether he's playing okay or not. He's 30, 31 years old. If he's not part of the plan, I just don't have him in the rotation. Agree. So, um, and the south side of things, yeah, there's still plenty to work on there. Very, very clunky. Um, very, very clunky. But Reynolds saves him to toler a couple of those guys, did good jobs. Colin Matongi starting to show. Some good footy off the bench, getting an opportunity the last few weeks. think he's going to be good moving forward. Raiders-Broncos, simply said, 8-6 half-time, same old, same old. You give you any glimmer of hope or they give themselves any glimmer of hope in a game of football, and then they got dusted 30 zip in the second half. Lost Turpin. Tale of two halves, I think it was more about how poorly Canberra played in the first half, not so much how good Brisbane were. Yeah. Mm. You don't even want to talk about it, to be honest. Haas is now suspended. Turpin's busted his hand. Flegler's busted. There was just some shit efforts. Again, they, they can't sustain it for 80 minutes. First, you've got like Carrigan, who's coming up with a couple of bad misses. Fafita at one stage slapped someone off a quick play the ball rather than trying to make a tackle, and Chance goes through. Croft just gets burned by Bateman when he never should. Runs around the outside of him, and he's outside man. Herbie on his inside shoulder doesn't come in. Those three blokes on that edge... Can't tackle Curtis Scott, who tips it under to Kotrick, who knocks another three blokes. There's two blokes there. They beat six people. Mm. It was it was horrible. The second half just absolutely spilled over. Yep. Um, for Canberra, I guess, good confidence booster and good for and against. And after a poor start, yeah, I thought, uh, you know, Bateman found a bit of spark. Him and Williams linked together a couple of times. Some nice results. Scott getting a bit of confidence there after being in and out of the side. Starling's obviously proving that he's willing to do that job or the man to stick with for the majority of the minutes. And I thought Haru Anora has been probably not <laughs> great off the bench the last few weeks, but he didn't play football for God knows how long. But That's right. he made a massive impact at the back end there. Good runs, couple of clean line breaks, almost scored, was just full of energy. So um, Gula, Horsberg, couple of guys, they're getting closer. They're talking maybe around 18, 19, so they get a couple of bodies back. You know? Soliola's potentially making an early recovery. I don't know if they're going to be ready to go. And there's been some good development in Hudson and getting Bateman back and getting Haru and Ira, but it's definitely a better situation when you've got more bodies, that's for sure. So some good signs for Canberra and said it last week. 
they needed a week at home after the tough run they had. Absolutely. So that was yeah. great for them to be there. Flat first half, great second half. Newcastle Manly. What did you think of this? I thought this was crazy. I thought, here we go again. After a good result and a smash up the week before, they've not turned up, and I thought it was heading the Cowboys zone again, where they just got blown off the park. But they steadied after 20 minutes, and basically after looking like they were going to get bullied, uh, they dominated the last 20, I thought. And then the second half, I thought, went similar way again. Manly seemed to have control for the first part of the half, but then Newcastle come home with a wet sail and found the win. But, um, yeah, still way too sporadic on the Newcastle side of things and consistency across the 80 minutes. Yeah, agree. Their starts have been pretty poor recently. Manly, they jumped them, but, you know, Manly had the Elliott issue to deal with in some injuries and they, they held on, fought real hard, Manly. They, you know, they, they stopped a couple of tries before Tuala was good enough to score at the end there, but... Mate, that cussed effort, the first try, was ridiculous. Oh, it was a beauty. I, I thought there's no chance he scored here. No, nah, Torpy into the wind, bounce, stops on a dime, kicks it between two of them, runs back around. I was like, wow. Well, yeah, I, I didn't even think think he won the race of the ball. No. Nah. Like, watching it live, I thought, oh, that's that's close. That one as a coach, though, you can't be angry about That's an effort because try. Because you just sit there and go, well, fuck. Well, the Too blo- good. The bloke's just, he nutted I'm filthy if I'm oh, Adam O'Brien. Long, yeah. But looking at that, I was like, man, you can't do much about oh, that. Oh, un- unbelievable. I'd be filthy about the second one. The clean break from the short tip to Paseca, 50 metres with DC under the post. That's what really worried me. But to their credit, probably, you know, Barnett stiffens things up again in the middle, leads the way. Uh, they get themselves upfield. Ponga and Pierce fight a few blanks early on as far as some, some bad passes and green, but they steadied the ship, found some points, started to get to those edges and pick on Manly. Um, who, again, like you said, Thompson's tongue, Cust hurt his knee, then rolled his ankle. Elliot does his ACL under all sorts of pressure, missing plenty of players. They fought hard, fought gallantly, and they defended very, very well at the back end of the game. But uh, just laid on there, nice inside-out ball. Tawala, who's starting to play some good football there mm. after coming down from North Queensland, bagged a second try, and, and they got the result. So Clemmer said it, and we've said it before, their games they don't win the last couple of years. But that's, true. that's two against Manly. With two points, one where they basically ran out of plays back at Brookvale not long ago, and this one that could be season-defining. Yeah, well, they both are now, aren't they? Because it's those slightly, four points got Manly in the eight. It's slightly keeping Newcastle on the hunt for the top four, even though that's probably not as likely, but it's still alive. But it's definitely got them in a position where you think they're going to play finals now, mm. and they're locked in. Uh, Man's doing a good job there. Probably not as great a week for their middles are a little bit more sketchy in that side of things, but. I think the big question, and I was only wondering this, mate, from the buzz side of things. Bradman Best got injured the other week. They said the season might be over. Then they're saying he might be back in six weeks, but there hasn't been a word about it. He had surgery. Is he done? Is he not done? What's going on? I don't know, mate. I want to know. Is Bradman Best coming back? They're playing ducks and drakes, mate. Yep. Safidi first game back, had a bit of a scare, but apparently uh, after he had that little bit of a bump, they just played it safe, kept him off the field. He's right to go this week, they reckon. Um, I thought Barnett was great again. Mm. He's, again, a real tone setter for that forward pack. And for Newcastle fans, there was a lot of uh, negativity I saw on uh, a post after a win. When you win a game like that, like, you've got to be stoked. Yeah. Like I get there's a lot you probably weren't happy with, but far out. A couple of weeks ago, you were looking dead and buried with the amount of injuries. If you find a ways to win games from behind, you should be absolutely cheering. Be grateful. Be grateful. Could be worse. <laughs> you could support the Gold Coast Titans <laughs> or the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, oof. You know, I'd be a Broncos man right now. Uh, for Manly this week, 
Tapia potentially back. I'm assuming Garrick probably goes to fullback. They reckon Turbo's a few weeks away. Georgie Tafua dropped last weekend. He might be back in the mix now that that injury's happened. But, yeah, they're really short on troops. Oh, yeah. You're starting to see Cust rolled his ankle, hurt his knee in that game, finishes the game somehow. Joel Thompson's got a snake tongue now, split it right up the oh. guts. They stitched it together. I saw a video. Horrible. Not a chance. <gasps> No, Sirenin's been limping around after, you know, playing some good football. He's got some knee swelling. They're the walking wounded right now. Old Manly. Not looking good. Last game of the round, Tigers, Dogs. Madge Maguire, what are you doing to your ticker, son? Oh. How would you be feeling at 22-6? Like, they got to go on with it, and they did it again. Led the Warriors by 12, shit the bed. Got the quick start against you guys, shit the bed. The Cowboys up 30-something zip and then got back to 38-8 and were under threat. But this one, 22-6, bashed Cogger and uh, Holland on one side, easy try off Luciano, right side, couple of corker plays between Benji, Nofalum, Alea one with the great hands, one with just a nice cutout pass and some shit day where he cuts back in offside to Garner. It looked like it could have been a cricket school, mm. bar the nice Nick Meany try from Cogger up the guts. But 22-6, you're expecting, like, well, you need to go on with this. And then old man Kieran Foran, with all these injuries, somehow gets around the outside of Joey Leilua, who may now possibly be the slowest centre in the comp. Because when Kieran Foran ran around him, he looked like me when I used to get in open space. Oh, my God! He was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm still that fast. Uh, (laughs) And really, you're not. It's false economy. It's false economy, but that's for Joey, that's not good when Kieran Foran runs around you and then you can't catch him. No, it's not a good Um, thing. Then Foran again, just... He's, his vision, despite the injuries, the short side pass from Montoya, he rolls his ankle, gets hurt, goes back on. He played his ass off. They got themselves back even. Marshall King had a try to score, gave away a gift to Tom. Which I have no idea why he passed that football. Mm. And then come up with an absolute corker of an offload late to get Holland in before the Tigers equalised through Joey. And then Luke Brooks, who probably hasn't had the best year this year, hits the winner. But Madge Maguire, his ticker, I don't know how it's doing. And I don't know how he would he would have done some Tai Chi or some shadow boxing in the basement last week after they said that they wanted to have more fun and he let him buy extra beer on the way home. I thought Madge would have gone straight home to the garage and just been letting out the is this is this is this this you would have been shadow boxing in the garage going, You wanna have fucking more fun, do you? Mm. More fun <laughs> Poor Madge. Poor Madge. Stress. Stress. Yep. If you're a dogs fan, I'm heartbroken for you because they deserve to win that game, in my opinion, the way they fought back. There's a few this year they've been close and haven't got the result. And let's be honest, at this point in time, I think the Broncos deserve the spoon more than the Bulldogs. And that would have thrown they do. that would have thrown the Broncos into that spot. But that field goal right but now. The head to head victory, I think the Broncos beat the Bulldogs, so Right now I don't know if too. they do, but yeah. I guess Do they play again? I don't think so. Mm. I think right now I'd be finding it hard that the Bulldogs now avoid Getting the spoon, but what have we got left? Let's have a look here. The Bulldogs. Bulldogs have to play the Warriors this weekend. Then the Raiders, the Gold Coast, Manly, Souths, and the Panthers. So if you think they're going to win a game, like originally you probably would have said if it was going to be a win, it'd probably be this week against the Warriors. Mm. But the way the Warriors have been consistent the last few weeks, I can't see it. The way the Warriors have played against the Roosters, uh, you know, on the weekend against the Panthers and their last couple of opponents, I, I think the Warriors would win that game. Raiders game, even you guys now. If a couple of weeks ago you might have said Titans Warriors are good possibilities for wins, but right now I, I don't know if they'll get another win. Mm. I'm sure they'll be in all these games. And if anyone 
rest players, maybe like a Panthers in the last round, they might have a chance to jag a result, but I think it's going to be pretty hard for them to shake the wind spoon. Yeah. But one win, I, like the Brisbane right now, you can't see Brisbane win another game. So if the dogs oh, no. if dogs can jag one somehow, they'll be away from that spoon because the for and against difference for the Brisbane Broncos is disgraceful. Horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. So there you go. All right, moving on. Tips, odds. We're about half an hour away from lineups, so we'll be having a stab in the dark again. But last week we did pretty good. We both got six. I think the only one I ended up tipping differently in my real tips once the lineups came out is I tipped Melbourne because I thought that Jared and a few blokes were going to be back last week. Obviously they weren't. Um, but, yeah, we both got six Ooh. this weekend. The first game we've got to kick off the round, Parramatta versus Melbourne. Uh, in this one for me, like I said, Munster, Smith, I don't think I don't know if Jesse is going to get off Dale Finucane's now, and I think there's no excuses for Parramatta at Bankwest Stadium to lose this game because Melbourne's going to run out potentially Nico Hines in the halves with Cooper Johns, or they're going to have Jacks and Cooper or Nico. I don't know, but I think they're going to be missing a lot of troops, and I I dare say they'll rest them. I want them to rest them, so I think Parramatta's going to have a much stronger lineup, and I'll be tipping Parramatta. Yeah, me too. But, yeah, if they were to risk those players this week in a game that, again, to me, has no effect, really, I'd be surprised. There's there's no point. There's nothing to gain. So both on Parramatta, and the bookies agree, $1.62 without the lineups at the moment, $2.30 for Melbourne. I dare say that'll blow out. Once named, the line currently, minus four. Early Friday game, the Panthers up against the Sharks after an absolute smash-up 50-plus the other week. Um yeah, I'll be sticking with the Panthers as well. I think the Sharks will be a lot better than they were last time. And I still wonder whether moving forward, Panthers do what I said before and start to look possibly if, you know, they want to get Burt in the game or they want to get Capewell back on the bench when he's healthy or Toto or do they start rotating some of these guys in and out. We've seen a lot of them roll in and out just as a coincidence of a week off here or there. But um, for the point of their squad, you guys like fisher Harris's who have been playing big minutes every single week, I think they're going to be in a position in the next few weeks to rest one or two of those guys if they they want to do it, head into the finals. Yeah. And I don't think it'd be a bad idea. I really don't. So sticking with the Panthers, but I expect a closer game than last time. A dollar thirty with the bookies, the Panthers, the Sharks three fifty, minus eight and a half is currently the line without the lineups. And I was only thinking this before. If Tyo is back this week, who's out? You reckon? Does he move May back to the bench and push Naden into the centres? Yeah. Does Naden get May's, pushed May's out? May's not a centre. But if they're sticking Naden. with him now and you've pushed Naden out, do you think he'd drop Naden or will you persist with May? No, you drop May back to 14. Well, that's what I'd do, but they've been playing him over Naden in the centres right now. So that's why I was wondering, would you would Tyo be the man in? And when Staines Tyo's going to be in. When Staines come back again, you know. Yeah, it'll be hard. There's some decisions to be made. Like you said, they've got some choices. That's for sure. And Kate Well, does he get your utility spot? I'd play Capewell on the bench. Just my back with Just Tedavano get pushed out. Like, I know they bought him at the start of the year, but they've got some options, that's for sure. Mm. They've got some real good options, the Panthers. Uh, I'd bring Burton in. I'd, I'd be trying Burton at one or putting Lowey at one and playing Burton at six. I, well, that's what I wanted at the start of the year. Yeah, Ed, Edwards has actually been playing some solid football since he got back. I still don't think he's the best option ball playing wise long term, which is why May playing in the attacking third sort of points that out. But, yeah, I think... I think they're playing teams at the moment who are really going to challenge them at the end of the year. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Smarter people need to work that out. 
Broncos Dragons second Friday night game again. Uh, Haas is going to be suspended. Flegler may or may not play with his injury. Turpin's going to be out. They're talking about Croft out for Milford. Uh, the way they played, and with who's potentially missing here, you have to tip the Dragons. There's been nothing to give yeah, you any inkling to want to tip the Broncos anyway, just form wise. And yeah, Dragons Vaughan comes back this week. I think Sims is going to be potentially out for the rest of the season, depending on his shoulder. I think Jackson Ford. Maybe a week away, but I think Young basically all but confirmed. Hunt will stay at nine. McKinnis at lock. Norman Clune. If they have the same kind of effort they had the other night, you think they'd beat Brisbane easily, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. So both on the Dragons, same odds as the Panthers game. Dollar thirty favorite. Three fifty for the Broncos. Minus eight and a half is the line there. Early Saturday game. Titans Raiders. So Joy Arrow Copley likely out. I'm assuming, and we don't know about Proctor, mm. but Arrow Copley. I'm thinking are pretty much certain is to be out. I think Canberra. Pretty much all good from last week. So I'll be sticking with Canberra, but I think Gold Coast, depending on who's on the field, will certainly give their best effort. There's no doubt about that. And that day trip's always awkward. They've got to go up there. So sticking both with the Raiders and the odds there, they're a $1.25 favourite. $4 for the Titans uh, and minus 10.5 is the line. Tigers Roosters. Now, this is an awkward one to tip right now, not seeing who's available or who they're going to bring in because there was talk potentially about Brett or Tupo or these kind of guys playing. Corden is still a few weeks away. I highly doubt all these talk about Sonny Bill. They're not going to play him straight away. They don't care about that. They're worried about finals. Wouldn't think so. They're going to get some running into his legs. But the halves combo, like is it Flanagan and Hutchison this week? Because if Keery's gone, Lamb's gone, I'm assuming probably Flanagan and Hutchison. Orbison's out. So the back row, if Corden is not available and now Orbison's out, is it Satili and Nat Butcher? Do you move Collins in if Jared's not there? To start with Tokiaho, like they're, they're really thin at the moment as well. Mm. Really thin. So the Tigers, while they haven't been great, like if the Roosters are an absolute skeleton with a random pair of halves and a different spine and different edge defensive combinations again, there's a potential for an upset, really. If they oh, yeah, play massive, massive chance for an upset. It's really again, without lineups, it's hard to tell, but if, if they name something similar to what I just kind of thought well, about. I think the then, Tigers plus six and a half is a good bet. Mm. I'm going to stick with the Roosters, but I tell you what. I'm not. I'm going to tip the Tigers. Yeah, I don't blame you. Wait until the lineups come out, and I tell you what, like Brock just said, Ladbrokes, $2 lines, plus 6.5, or the $3 in general. Depending on what gets named, be ready to bet quickly before the odds fluctuate too much. But We could have got 350 last night. I got 350 last night. Mm, I think the Roosters, again, just if a few of those guys aren't back on board and there's a random pair of halves and different combinations again, um, they're going to be really stretched. They're going to have to play the debutante probably again. Uh, Christian, I can't even pronounce the last name. I'm sorry. You're going to have to have a couple of guys on the bench. Hutchison, I can't remember him playing much this year, maybe once or twice off the bench. Flanagan off two weeks. Friends still playing big minutes and got not much of a rotation. There was even talk that Sam Walker would now be mm. in the 21 and potentially sit on the bench. Play, so. yeah. yeah, interesting to see what happens there, but keep your eyes on that one. Uh, South versus Manly. The late game, Manly, Tapau back in. Thompson playing, like I said, a couple of guys playing Buster. They reckon uh, Tapau will be right, obviously. Searing him with that knee, cast a few of those guys to play on just to feel a comeback. And now that Elliott's out, Garrett back to fullback, I don't know. Souths have been highly unimpressive, and I'd be more than likely if someone's going to cause an upset, regardless of troops, it would be Manly. But for Souths, this is booking your ticket to the final. Souths. Yeah. So on that, I expect to see the best performance we've seen from Souths. Mm-hmm. Has to happen. If they don't, they're putting themselves in a real tailspin coming into Melbourne and a few other teams a few weeks after, and I think they could get really inside their heads. 
Whereas if Manly get that win, get Tom and a few guys back on the way there, they could go on some sort of run and potentially try to pull themselves back in. But for South, you could put the nail on the coffin this week. Yeah. Um, $1.36 to South, three ten for Manly, minus 7.5 the line. Sunday, Dogs, Warriors. I'm going with Warriors. I'd, what is... I don't know the lineups. I know Katoa's potentially going to be missing. But for me, Kieran Foran, the ankle, the knee, he may play next weekend, but he's a ticking time bomb right now. Right. And when he's not on the field, nothing happens. So if he's unhealthy or 50% or potentially busted again this weekend, like, you know, Katoa rolls out. They, they'll put Papali in. They'll push Tohu back to the edge. Tavago will play more minutes. He's getting better and better now. Egan might push out. Uh, it's into nine, sorry, and Lawton back to an edge. I don't know, but I just I like the effort. What I'm seeing right now from the Warriors, yep. so I'll take the Warriors. Uh, the odds on that: dollar sixty-two, two thirty for the Dogs, minus four the line in the last game. Newcastle versus the Cowboys. Cowboys, plenty of effort. Blew that one. Massive upset early in the year up in North Queensland. They're travelling the opposite way this time around. So, with that being the case on the day trip, I think Newcastle at home, looking for a bit of revenge, have to win this game. Knights. So dollar thirty favorite of Newcastle, three fifty for the Cowboys, minus eight and a half is the line. And I guess we haven't done much of this this year, but futures blocks. You got Storm at three seventy five to win the comp at the moment. Panthers at four, Roosters at four, Parramatta at six. I think that's probably about as far as it goes. As far as outside of value, if you thought yeah. Canberra could somehow get a couple of guys back and go on a run without Hodgson or get there, they're eleven. 17 for the Knights is a real stretch, but I don't see anyone outside of that. No. I really, really don't. That's for the grand final. Minor premiers, Panthers dollar forty-five favourite now. Storm, $3. Don't That's see it. Parramatta at 9 I think Penrith, healthiest, uh, likely to get that one. $1.45, though. Jeez, that's short. It is very short. But I guess Melbourne this week, who are one point behind them, play para, probably under strength, lose. And if Penrith win again, then they're basically two wins clear. Mm. So I can see where the bookies are probably looking at that. Top four is basically all but done. And the bookies sort of agree. Penrith's already been taken off that market. Parramatta's now $1.06. The Roosters in Canberra, probably the last two that are likely. If you think Canberra can get over top of the Roosters, and I think they're head-to-head on the run home, they're $2.50. Dollar fifty three right now the Roosters for top four, top eight. They've shortened this one up because of the mathematics. Everyone's basically locked in. They've got Souths and Sharks who we said are those two that are two clear now and a dollar twenty five and a dollar twenty two. Manly the only one really likely outside three dollars seventy five. West Tigers eight dollars. Yeah. So you'd have to be really keen on Manly right now, but I <clears throat> I tend to think it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Making the grand final out of those kind of four teams or an outsider. Melbourne are $1.85 to make the grand final. Panthers, two. Roosters, two. Parramatta, three. Canberra, five fifty. Newcastle, $8. Mm. Even if you think the Roosters are going to get healthy there, the bookies are safeguarding themselves at $2. They're not really giving you a lot of value to try and say, you know, get back five or six players and make the GF. They've got them on par with the Panthers. Melbourne, very short. Parramatta's probably the value bet there if you think they're going to make the grand final three dollars to be honest. Well, you're getting a fifty-fifty roll at Parramatta, really. Oh, yeah. There's not a lot of great odds there, but Parramatta's probably the only one really. Unless again, you were super keen on Canberra at four fifty, no, but I can't say. I think the only value there would be Parra. Wooden spoon market, uh, Brisbane and the Dogs again. Bookie safeguarding themselves two dollar fifty split there. North Queensland. 
450. Again, they're four and against. There's nowhere near as bad, so you'd think they'd be safe right now. That's a two-horse race. Um, yeah. And the only other markets were point scorers and those sort of things. They're not up at this point in time in winning region at most years. It's got some good value for Melbourne and the Victoria side or Queensland this year. You won't see that very often. The Queensland teams are all basically gone skis, $251. That's usually always got some value well, for one could, of them. That could be a million to one because yeah, none of them, none them are made that. Victoria, ACT New Zealand, so Storm Raiders, $3. New South Wales, the winning region, heavily favoured, $1.36. Yeah. So your only value there is if you think Storm or Canberra. Get two bites of the cherry at three bucks. Probably better off than back in Storm to make the grand final if you pick them to be the winning region, but there you go. Another week in the books, Boxhead. Tis. Just looking for any last updates before we log off here to see my emails or on the NRL website quickly if anything's up. Chris Lawrence to retire at the end of 2020. What a great servant he's been in a battler. Mm. Debuted 18-year-old. During his HSC for St. Greg's, flew out to Brisbane there, scored a try, had that horrible hip injury, a few rough years, converted himself into a good back rower, and that bad facial injury last year pushing on and still playing right now. Great clubman. Uh, and just after we said the Broncos don't need anything more, there's been a conclusion of that pub situation. They were cleared by the chief medical officer and the government up there, but the NRL has fined the Broncos and 10 players $140,000 over their pub visit. Wow. So... A breach notice for 140 grand by the NRL for breaching the game's biosecurity protocols. Uh, they were permitted at the time to go to restaurants, cafes, but not to sit in pubs and gaming areas, which clearly they've done. 75000 uh, the Broncos club, you find $75,000 in each of the players who are full-time, of which them are seven, to be fined 5% of their salaries, totaling 65000 Three development players involved in Ethan Bullimore, Josh, James and Tyson Gamble will have a portion of their fine suspended because they're not on as much money. The other seven full-time players who are getting hit, Jake Turpin, Katani Staggs, David Feeder, Corey Pakes, Keenan Palasasia, Sean O'Sullivan and Corey Oates. And Andrew Abdo has said, we've taken our time to thoroughly investigate this matter so we could gather as much evidence as possible to determine what exactly happened. It's our view this breach involved a significant failure of the club to properly administer the league's biosecurity protocols. Fair comment. Just another, another slap in the face for Brisbane yep. and all their fans. And, again, probably to sum things up, as we sign off, did mention it before, that uh, some people went to the club's HQ this week and threw their jerseys at the doorsteps of the club. So just shows where they're at the moment. Yeah. Wow. But another week in the books. See what happens with these lineups. They're due out in about 20, 25 minutes. Uh, the last real hope, like we said, Manly South. That's probably the big game to pay attention to this weekend. If they beat Manly, that's probably curtains really unless the Tigers can upset the Roosters which brings them back within one win and they've got better for and against but yeah that would rely on the Sharks or South losing to get mm. them both of them back within one win so they're probably the, the three games to sort of look at the results to see if there's anyone having any hope of getting into the eight um, if the Tigers are to lose and Manly are to lose with five to go and a two win gap you'd have to say that that's probably curtains curtains yeah they need to go five and one, those teams. The Kevin Proctor thing, like we said, there's been a bunch of back and forth, a lot of comments made, but at the end of the day, who knows? It's a lottery a lot of the time We're when you go find up there. Out. So we'll find out tonight. But for now, enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league. Bring it on. Give us more. Give us more. Where are you going? Where, what, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it?
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 